I ever see him within a mile of the school again, I'll have him put to death! Stop it! I won't allow such a talk, you understand? No one cloud! Then get out, you angel dog! Get moving! You bitch! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski. And I'm uh, Patrick Rapol, and Actually, I've noticed we always say very special guest, and um, I we always say very special guest, and I feel it might diminish from. I think we tonight we really do have a very special guest. We do, yeah, yeah. You might know him from DVD Active. Uh, you might know him from the music he makes. Probably you don't know him from the music he makes, but he does. <laughs> yeah. He does do a lot of. Uh, he does do a lot of uh, good music as well. Uh, Gabe Powers, welcome. Hello. Gabe. Um, and we're having Gabe on to talk about Dario Argento. Um, mm-hmm. Gabe is uh, – if 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 he won't claim that he's an expert of Italian horror, I'll claim it. Uh, yeah, so. I, I don't think I want to claim that. <laughs> I'll get called out. <laughs> we, we are listeners. They like to challenge people. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know that from writing for the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, you're, mm-hmm. you, you know a lot about uh, Italian horror and I was um, – you know, uh, I, I sort of went back and watched a lot of Italian horror in preparation for this episode and talked to you a lot on Facebook about it and stuff. So we're yeah. excited to have you on. Sweet. Um, we always put this at the end of the episode, but I'm going to go ahead and put it at the beginning because I oh, just know okay. when I'm at a, when I listen to podcasts, once I know everything's wrapping up, I tend to stop listening. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, uh, give us a good rating on iTunes. Um, write a review. Um, that's a that's basically the best way you can help us out. It'll get more people. The sort of iTunes algorithm or whatever is all about downloads and also ratings and amount of yeah. reviews and stuff. So even if you just want to click on the stars, yeah, just click on know? the five star, uh, help us out a lot. So um, definitely easy free way to help us. Anyway, um, we don't really have any letters to get to um, this week, uh, so let's just go right into what we watched this week. Great. Gabe, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, well, I was planning on getting to, because I have a review pile, I was going to get to Super 8 or uh, the new uh, West Side Story, but I haven't watched them yet. So mm-hmm. I'd say the last thing I watched was uh, In a Glass Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the director's name correctly. Auguste uh, Valronga, uh, Villa mm-hmm. Ronga. It's Spanish. I'm not good with Spanish. Uh, it was a movie in '87, uh, a Spanish kind of art house horror thing about a uh, Nazi uh, uh, Nazi doctor that is uh, also a pedophile. Who? Um, oh God! Who? Uh, the movie opens explaining to us that he has tortured and killed people, and then uh, cuts to later in his life. He feels terrible about it and jumps off his villa. And doesn't die and is instead put in an iron lung. 
and uh, one of his ex-victims who's now an adult comes and poses as a nurse and basically tortures him and his family. Huh. Whoa. I was I was going to make a joke that he's a very ambiguous, morally ambiguous character, well, but I guess... That's the thing, though. It's the victim in, for most of the movie. Uh, right, yeah. I guess, yeah, it doesn't work as well. Um, But it sounds interesting. I always think that's funny when... Uh, um, that's a kind, kind of a very easy way. I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head. Well, they, they'll get someone who's very awful, and then they'll have someone. I think maybe Devil's Rejects does that, where it's like, who you sympathize with, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, well, it, it was similar to uh, like Hard Candy was another example. Yeah, exactly. Where at, for certain points in that movie, you're feeling really bad for the pedophile. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's something I had seen a long time ago and almost entirely forgotten about. It makes those lists of disturbing movies that uh always make the rounds and it just got uh re-released by cult epics it's one of their i think it's their first non uh erotica i guess is the word they prefer to porno uh (laughs) blu-ray releases i don't think they've done any horror blu-ray releases yet it's not even really a horror movie it's it's a psychological thriller slash art film kind of thing Mm. So what, uh, what, what what kind of torture goes on uh, well, to this man in an iron it, lung? It it sounds a lot it, – it's actually a pretty measured movie. In fact, I don't know if it would get an NC-17 rating other than this, the fact that it's upsetting. Uh, he The kid comes in at the beginning of the movie. It's really ambiguous. You kind of like the kid like opens up the iron lung and crawls on top of him. And uh, start, and you think, oh, he's suffocating him, but then he ends up pressing his chest for him and breathing into his mouth. And the guy has his daughter and a like a sort of, you know, trophy wife. And the trophy wife at the beginning of the movie is thinking about killing him the whole time too. And so, like the first third is kind of confusing. You don't really know what's going on. The only thing you know is that the little girl is a nice person. Yeah. Uh, and then the the middle part is actually kind of like a Giallo movie where uh, he's sort of stalking the wife in the house. And uh, then the light, latter part is he decides he's he re he basically we figure out that the 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 victim that the man who's not a man now he has become a pedophile murderer himself and blames this guy. So he kind of tortures him with the whole you messed me up thing because the guy hmm. obviously felt guilty enough to jump off a building um, and then sort of starts uh, reconditioning his, trying to recondition his daughter. But but there's like this, it's a whole weird, I, I didn't put it together until watching it this time that so many Spanish horror movies revolve around little girls that are... Uh, oh, yeah. I've noticed that, that too. Or, or little boys, I guess, but like little kids that know know what's going on and uh, are either more threatening than the adults or more savvy than the adults and are going to get through the movie. I would say the only – I don't I, – I always forget if it's Spanish or Mexican and I believe it's because it goes back and forth. But Guillermo oh, del Toro's movies yeah. are always like that. Yeah, Chrono, well, Chronos yeah, he is great. in Spain, so I would count those. Kronos uh-huh. is built around a girl. Yep. Her grandfather, Devil's Backbone's a bunch of little boys. Pan's Labyrinth's a girl. Uh, the Orphanage, which he produced, has a lot of child elements in it. Right. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that one. I want to check that out. There was a really good one called uh, The Christmas Tale. It was part of that six films to keep you awake thing that Lionsgate dumped a few beer- years back. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. 
it's six movies. The one that was really good was called The Christmas Tale. It's basically, I, I, like I said, I haven't watched Super 8 yet, but everything I hear about Super 8, it's like, what if someone did Super 8 correctly? <laughs> oh, really? It's all 80s nostalgia, and it actually takes place in the 80s and all this stuff, but it's, it's a really good story. It actually has the little girl from Pan's Labyrinth in it. Is it Spanish? Yeah, it's all in Spanish, and it's. I think it's only like an hour and t- ten minutes, maybe, because it was made for TV. Right. It's kids find uh, a lady dressed as Santa Claus in a hole that she's fallen into, and she has all this money. And they say, "We'll let you out of the hole if you give us some some of that money." Hmm. Um, yeah. TV movies are always weirdly paced. They're either very short or way too long. I, right. Well, I think it was it was the Spanish equivalent to uh, Masters of Horror. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was way better than Masters of Horror. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I w- I'm just, I'm thinking of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which I know a lot of horror fans oh, yeah. really like, yeah. but I think it's horribly paced. It is. <laughs> it is. Well, mo- yeah, I can't think of a single, I guess, duel. Otherwise, yeah. all feel amazing. Like, they all feel like they're made for TV, really. Right. Somebody's watching me. Had a. Yeah. It yeah, I haven't did. seen that one yet. I, I, you guys talked about it, but I actually haven't seen that. I, 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 like I said last episode, I would recommend it, but it right. is a TV movie. Um, right. It's interesting. This director who, who made the movie you mentioned, he uh, was just nominated for an Academy yeah. Award for, for his last movie. In fact, on the Blu-ray, they asked him to talk about uh, about uh, In a Glass Cage, and he actually spends most of his time talking about uh, Black Bread, which mm-hmm. is his... You know, it swept the Goya Awards, and it's yeah, probably... I see that. I'm I'm kind of interested in this one. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's gotten a U.S. release yet, as far as I know. Oh. It's the first I've heard of it. It was nominated. What was it nominated for? Last year for best foreign language film. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Never heard of Never heard of the movie before. When do you say, what year do you say it was from? Eighty-seven. You can tell by looking at it. It's mm-hmm. well, it's got that you know what you'd call James Cameron photography where everything is blue um it it it, it's you know they're all in gothic looking houses and stuff but uh it it definitely kind of bleeds late 80s spain yeah scenes all right um jim do you want to go next sure well i don't know if anyone can tell out there i've had a cold been under the weather so i've watched quite a few things but um out of all of them that have stood out I gotta say, this movie Hardware, mm. which um, director Richard Stanley did, and this is um, this was made in 1990. I think I saw it when I was a kid. Kind of blocked it out a bit, you know. Watching a movie t- 20 some years later, it's like, you know, it's like watching it for the first time all over again. And um, there were certain elements of this movie I, I remembered specifically the gore. The, the creepy next-door neighbor, but this is my kind of post-apocalyptic, crazy science fiction horror movie that um, it's like if you if you combined Alien with Terminator and threw in Short Circuit and Tetsu the Iron Man, you'd have mm. this movie, which is just... It's a takes, hell of a pedigree. <laughs> it takes place in, um, in, the, in the future in which the government decides to produce these... Um, you know, mechanical robots that are programmed to wipe out humans, and um, they they have the ability to regenerate and repair themselves. Um, but since that experiment failed, and I, if I recall, the uh, the robot 
is um, he's not able to to survive in that particular environment. They're they're sort of scrapped in this junk pile, and this drifter comes in and he finds pieces of the robot, um, and sells it to this other guy played by Dylan McDermott, um, and he just, he decides to give it to his artistic girlfriend because she loves to make. Artistic or autistic? Artistic. Right. Um, she likes to make uh, crazy statues and yeah, she makes like industrial. Yeah, yeah, just like things. really interesting stuff, uh, art art pieces. And, and this so, is post-apocalyptic. Yeah, there's a there's still a market for for. for I don't, yeah, yeah, apparently so. For I postmodern think, art. I think she, I can't remember. I know she makes a living not with the I don't know what with her artwork, but she does something with the. Uh, all the wiring, and she's good with all the technical stuff that, like, computers, I think. I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember what her job was, but... Um, I don't think they say. I yeah. never... I, that's actually... I'd love to see a post-apocalyptic movie where things more or less return to status quo. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, where just everything is extremely rationed. But other than that, people are just very civil and... Yeah, yeah. it'd be nice. But eventually she's sort of left alone with this robot that eventually figures out how to re- repair itself and it goes crazy and it turns into this insanely violent chase movie within the apartment itself. Um, <laughs> there's this crazy voyeuristic element involving the the, 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 the next door neighbor who likes to watch um, the couple having sex and says really pornographic descriptive things. That's the one thing I remember he, as a kid. He does a play-by-play? Basically, yeah. He's like, put that big dick inside of her now. <laughs> See, I was imagining it like Bill Murray in uh, Caddyshack. Yeah. But... yeah the guy's huge and fat and greasy, too. Yeah, it's, it's pretty gross. It's the, same guy, it's the same fighter pilot from Star Wars who goes, stay oh, on target. Oh, shit, it's, it's stay Lieutenant on, Eckhart. Stay on target. That guy. Yeah. yeah. I See, I, 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 love, I, I, I grew up watching Batman more than Star Wars, so I knew uh, him as Lieutenant Eckhart. That, no, that's, you're right, you're right. You're right, he is. I yeah. didn't even think of that. No, but it's it's I I would consider this to be an elevated sci-fi genre film. You know, it's 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 sort of you know saturated with style, even if like the story is kind of derivative and you know where it's going. But it's just you could tell this director had like a hand in directing Ministry videos and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, then there's a really awesome sequence set to a Ministry song, Psalm sixty nine, where I think that's when she's trying to put yeah. piece together the robot. That whole thing is really awesome. I don't know. Like, this movie is really goofy and gets out of control. There's, like, hallucinogenic, psychedelic sequences when they get when he gets injected with, like, the neurotoxin that the robot ha- has. So it becomes really crazy by, by the end. Um, but I, I don't know. This is... It's got that cyberpunk element, but it, it doesn't feel too dated. I think... There's there's a lot to get out of this movie if you, if you check it out. It's just really goofy and crazy and out of control. It's I've I've used this word quite a lot when we've talked about other movies, but it's kind of a a mashup of sorts of all sorts of things that I like. Huh. So I know it sounds good. Speaking though of uh... I'm yeah I'm curious about this director and seeing what else he's going to do. I just wanted to Stanley? mention Stanley. Yeah, because I I think he's Dust, Dust Devil is on the Netflix right now. Actually, oh is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Was that he any kinda, good? Did you? Check I him? like Dust Devil. Dust Devil is super because du- he's South American, uh, African. I mean, yeah. And Dust Devil is basically all about apartheid, uh, sub subtextually. Um, oh, yeah, I want to see this. Uh, he also did an anthology horror film, or he, he that's not this. out yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just saw a trailer for that. It looks great. 
Yeah, it's got Tom Savini. What's it uh, called? Yeah, The yeah. Theater Bazaar. Nice. Yeah, it's a I horror would, anthology I always love film. Horror anthology films. Yeah. Um, but speaking of insanity and Dylan McDermott, uh, <laughs> have either of you American seen? Horror. Have you ever? Have either of you seen American Horror? I keep Story? hearing about it. Uh, my friend uh, came over the other day when we were hanging out. Uh, my friend Betsy came over and she wanted to watch it because she had been hearing about it and it was on the on demand here on cable. We watched all three of the first episodes in a row. Isn't it? Oh my god! It's so weird that I actually sort of have to like it. I, that, I don't want to, but I do. That's, that's what I keep hearing. Yeah. Okay, number one, it is. I, I I do want to tell everybody it is insanely dumb. Um, yes, very much. But there is like a legitimate element where it is so batshit insane and crazy that you literally do believe that they will let anything happen to any character. Yes. Um. So there is. It is sort of like Tommy. I, I described it as Tommy Wiseau's Twin Peaks because it's just it's trying to go yeah. build a big mythology and be kind of crazy and weird. But it it's like instead of being kind of very smart and measured like Twin Peaks, it's very over the top and dumb. But there is a legitimate kind of sense of danger. I mean, the very second episode. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a stranger's um, sort of homage or whatever, but there's. Uh, I counted like four different homages in the second episode alone, but the very second episode, their home gets invaded and they're mm. tied up and nearly murdered. <laughs> so oh it's like the kind of things that would climax a season finale of a crazy show like Breaking Bad are just like they happen like twice a twice an episode in this. Well, uh, and then the third episode's all about why they can't sell the house and leave. It's yeah. like nothing but backtracking. Okay, we gave all this horrible shit to them, but now they can't leave because of these very mundane legal reasons yeah and it does and it does get harder and harder and it like it starts getting more and more tense and yeah like you said like despite myself i really am kind of drawn into it uh obviously i wish the characters you know when everything was better written but i it's i really do urge everybody to at least see the pilot because it's one of the the craziest hours of television i've ever seen Hmm. um that's what i keep hearing at That's one point, that the the main sort of teenage daughter, she's just walking to school and she's smoking, um, and she's like on school grounds, and another student goes, "Hey, put that out," and she's like, "No," and then the other student just goes crazy, and goes, "I'm gonna make you eat it," and starts <laughs> screaming. At her. It's like that, like that kind of thing where you're, where like Dylan McDermott is having an argument with his wife, and then all of a sudden he just screams, "You bought a dog." Uh, and they like they say these insane lines like it's a big Oscar moment. It's fantastic movie, uh, not movie. Show. It's a fantastic show. Uh, I really do urge everyone to check that out. Um, well, uh, quickly about hardware. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about that is uh, it, mentioning that on this podcast is that uh, I don't know. Did you watch the commentary track on it? Uh, no, I did not. It's a great commentary, and Richard Stanley over and over again keeps saying i stole this shot from argento i stole that shot from argento uh, okay. okay it's pretty and then also the song psalm 69 mm-hmm. you know how it ends with someone screaming stop it yeah that's the piano player from suspiria <laughs> oh my god that's right i just i got really excited when you mentioned both those things but oh anyway. that's fucked yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow that's funny yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we're going to talk about more when we get to Argento, but yeah, there, was, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of things when I was going back and watching that, I'm, that I realized, oh, some so-and-so stole this from, yeah. you know, this Italian horror movie and this Argento movie, even as recently as, I think there's a there's a couple shots in Drive that take from Bird with the Crystal Plumage, hmm. but well, I mean, I'll get to that when we get to it. 
yeah. Um, but speaking of Italian horror, I watched a recent American horror movie that um, was influenced by Italian horror. I watched uh, Hostel Part 2. I love that movie. Yeah, me and uh, me and Gay were talking about it on Facebook, hmm. but uh, it's a movie I saw a sneak preview for uh, with a, and I think it was like the first director Q&A I was ever at. And I was very excited cuz I really liked Hostel a lot. Um and I remember being a little disappointed the first time I saw it. I was. And I've only seen it the I one remember, time. Um but there's actually a lot going on in the movie that's really interesting. Hmm. Um and I'd say the m- the movie's main problem is uh, it follows the f- the first film structure so closely that you that it kind of eliminates all the tension. Um, but instead of being you know very tense and um uh, like I'd say one of the chief uh, you know strengths of the first hostel was it was a it was a movie that allowed its story to go where it was going to go. You know the movie didn't end when he escaped the factory, and the movie didn't try to keep being a horror movie either. You know, yeah. Once yeah. he gets out, it sort of becomes more of a thriller, and uh, and then it becomes a revenge movie. Like I I really love that about Hostel that um, it it actually told a story with you know characters. It wasn't an exercise in you know horror or anything. Though obviously those those torture sequences you know, are set pieces in their own right. But for sure, um, the, the second one is just very sort of fascinating about sort of the mundanity of, I don't, that's not the right word, but the sort of the mundane of evil. And it's hmm. where uh, it, you get to see all of the business practices behind what happened in the first one. And whereas in the, in the, when I first saw it, I was sort of bummed that it wasn't more of a horror movie. Uh, those are really interesting, and all of those sequences are great. Um, like where they're texting, they're bidding. The oh bidding no, yeah, that bidding screen thing, that yeah. bidding war. That uh, yeah, and I, I watched it with the commentary as well. And Eli Roth was talking about uh, how he was influenced by De Palma for the split screen. Um, but yeah, I can see that totally. Yeah, that whole bidding scene is wonderful, and um, it's crazy that the guy who edited both of the Hostel movies is George Fulcy Jr., who worked on American Werewolf in London. Uh-huh. Is he related to Le- Landis? Is he related to uh, Lucy uh, Lucio Fulci? No, okay. <laughs> George Fulci. Oh, Fulci. Okay, F O L Fulci. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's that is funny. Um, I think I don't think I think Tarantino actually also did a uncredited draft of the first Hostel. He he definitely did. There's there's one line that they mentioned that is Tarantino's in the in the commentary where they're being dragged through um, Amsterdam and or it may have been Slovakia at that point, but someone goes, uh, Hey, is that Roman Polanski? <laughs> Just, it's like an ADR line. Um, no, but Hostel two also uh, like, I'd say the best moment of it is uh, Heather Maserato's death scene in Ugh. the lady Bathory kind of scene. But my favorite moment isn't even the, uh, the actual killing itself it's when she's getting wheeled out um upside down and the whole the camera is just following her as she's being sort of craned in from a different sort of almost like a closet or something into the main room Mm -hmm. and these two you know big goons who are and you see them a bunch in the movie and i love them because they they're so euro trash number one they're so euro trash and number two they're so nonchalant (laughs) <laughs> about about everything um even when shit kind of goes down at the end of the movie uh they're kind of they've dealt with it before but um 
no, there's uh, she gets wheeled out and she's screaming and she has a gag in her mouth and then you see them take out blowtorches and you know you you remember the blowtorch from the first movie you're like oh fuck and then they just use them to light candles like just really slowly and methodically as she's dangling and she's naked and she's screaming you just watch them like bored lighting candles all around her and that to me sums up everything that's great about is about the hostile part two where you know it's very slow and it's sort of examining the idea of a business like this and it's it allows these moments to happen and not going for the obvious shock um you know but obviously what's great is eli roth also delivers in that aspect i mean the the ultimate comeuppance of the villain wait Mm, this came out in 2007 right yeah all right we can spoil it it's not a it's not like a twisty movie anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not really. It's very inevitable. But, I mean, he, the ultimate come up into the villain, and this is this is in the R-rated cut as well. I love – I don't. Eli Roth must be very charming um, to always get away with what he gets away with at the MPAA. But it's his dick being ripped off and fed to a dog. Yep. <laughs> um, well, and he, she does it after she gets her way. She does it as a – like she, it's a threat, and then she, the threat is called, and then she does it anyway. Yeah, it's the best part about it. It's because she's told she has to kill, or she will be killed herself. So she just has no qualms at that point. I love that. Yeah, and um, you know, it's a it's a movie that you know uh, a lot of people go, oh, the first movie is just trying to be all sex and stuff, and it's a movie that kind of addresses that. The first nudity you see in the movie is a naked man uh, mm-hmm. modeling and. You know, the only real female nudity – I think there's also a female modeling as well. But the only real female – extended female nudity you see is Heather Maserato. And yeah. she acts her ass off in that scene. And it's Yeah, she's good. Fucking horrifying. <sighs> and you know, I like – I really like Eli Roth. And I'd like to cover him sometime because I, we, had, we had this discussion on Facebook as well. But I feel like people write him off because he's kind of – like he's from Boston and he's kind of talks like – or looks like a bro and – well, he could get along with jocks, but yeah. I don't think he is one. I, I he's just so dorky in interviews. No, yeah, and and I mean the the commentary definitely revealed that as well. He's constantly referencing all these different movies, and you know that he wanted to get. You know, he, it's like, oh, that's from Torso. That's from Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. You know, <laughs> which is him and Tarantino's favorite Italian film title ever. Um, and, well, and then he he got the, the he got like two actors from really obscure Italian horror movies to make cameos in it too. Like, yeah, not like he didn't take the Rob Zombie route and pick guys that everybody knows. Yeah, I, I mean, I I said yeah, I said this before on the Facebook, but like no one casts Kane Hodder because they want Kane Hodder in their movie. Yes. Yeah, they cast him because he's the Friday Thirteenth guy, and they want other people to go, hey, look, it's the Friday Thirteenth guy. You know, mm-hmm. like I can, you can justify. Um, oh God, why do I always blank out when names? Freddy Krueger, <laughs> Robert <laughs> England. Yeah, well, you can justify casting Robert England because he's got a great face and a great voice, and he's like a legitimate actor. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. no one ever puts, you know, no one ever puts Hodder in the movies because that um, Kane Hodder. I think is Hodder. What's the name of the author in uh, in in the Mouth of Madness? Foster Kane or? Foster Kane. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Sutter Kane. Sutter, Sutter Kane. Yeah, yeah, Foster Kane is is uh, Citizen Kane. That's Charles Foster <laughs> Kane. Um, Sutter Kane, yeah. I, I was trying to imagine the scene when the guy 
probably my favorite part of Same in the Same initial breaks, to Stephen King. He breaks through the glass and he goes, do you like Sutter Kane? Yes. <laughs> yes. By the way, that was one of the Carpenter movies I didn't get to rewatch and I kind of wanted it's to. It's so good. I love it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I watched it pretty recently myself because it was on the Netflix. I mean, we're definitely doing a part two next year. So Yeah, we're doing another John Carpenter. That's good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, I really like Hostel Part Two, and I mean, it's been a while since I saw Cabin Fever. I'm pretty luke. I was pretty lukewarm on it. I'm willing to give it a you know a reevaluation, but I think Hostel is great, and I think Hostel Part Two is really good. Um, I think yeah, and I, li- I like Cabin Fever. I think it's fun. I I would compare him to Peter Jackson, honestly, in the way like you compare Cabin Fever to Bad Taste. Sure, yeah. And then you compare Hostel to Meet the Feebles, and then Hostel Two to I mean, they're totally different movies, but this sort of trajectory, exponential, yeah. yeah. Let's hope he doesn't go the whole the way with the trajectory, because I'd really hate it if Eli Roth just ended up making boring Oscar bait like Lovely right. Bones. Bones. Lovely Bones was so bad, but it would be great if he made a, a Heavenly Creatures. That's true. I, yeah. I I like when I was you know I I was supposed to have a movie out this year according I, to that's yeah I don't think that's gonna happen no I don't I don't think it is either but it's uh, endangered species yeah it's supposed to be an action he wants to do a special effects driven movie it said ah, okay science fiction yeah I I don't know I mean I I I would love to see he's clearly a good filmmaker with a good eye and he knows how to tell a story and stuff but at the same time one of the reasons he's able to do whatever he wants in his movies is because they're low budget, you know, and they make their money back. If he does a big budget, you know, special effects driven movie and it, and it doesn't, does, doesn't do well, it can really hurt his career. And I don't want that to happen. <laughs> yeah. Or who knows, maybe he'll have another, yeah. he'll have a district nine or something. Yeah, I guess baby bird's got to fly. You got to let baby bird fly. And yeah, don't, don't put him in a corner. Don't put baby, baby bird <laughs> no. in the corner. No. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that was um, that was what I watched that week. This week, yeah, awesome. <laughs> can, can you edit that out? <laughs> can you look for the long pause in which, uh, in which we act like I'm we haven't surprised. done like twenty three episodes of this and we didn't know how to transition? <laughs> I <laughs> with that, I do yeah. think though, uh, it's time that maybe we go into talking about our director, um, Dario. Dario. Argento. Argento. I like that, by the way, too. We always make sure to say it at the same time. It's very cute. I, I think that's what our, view, our listeners think, too. It's very cute. I bet they like the song that follows. Yeah, they hear it and they go, very cute, Jim and Patrick. Very cute. Rome in 1940, to a film producer father and a photographer mother, Dario Argento started his career in film as a critic before becoming a screenwriter, 
most notably collaborating with Bernardo Bertolucci and Sergio Leone on the screenplay for Once Upon a Time in the West. His directorial debut was 1970s Giallo, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which, while far from the first Giallo film, kicked the doors wide open for the genre in Italy. Tell me about it, eh? What's that? What happened? I want to know everything you saw and heard. Everything. Monica. Come on now, come on. Take go of me! I'm a better Ranieri. She's my wife. Excuse me. Monica, speak to me. What happened? Please, you're tiring her. Monica. Oh. Dear. Who did it? Who? Well, we might want to talk about what a giallo is. Yeah, right. I wasn't familiar with the genre. <laughs> this is probably like the first time in uh, probably other than the Joseph Losey episode where I've been a little bit more clueless on, on on the structure or the type of film that this is. But being a fan of uh, Hitchcock and De Palma, I certainly see familiar tropes in in this in the Giallo style filmmaking. Right. Um. Yeah, do you want me to... Yeah, yeah, please that? do. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, you probably know more than either of us. Right. Well, it started as a series of uh, thrillers, like your crummy dime store paperbacks, like, you know, your detective novels and stuff that you have in America. Uh, and they always had yellow covers, and giallo is just yellow, literally. Mm-hmm. Just means yellow. Uh, and it, it most... I mean, there's a bazillion movies that you could credit as the first one, uh, but most people say The Girl Who Knew Too Much or The Evil Eye that Mario Bava started, and then Blood and Black Lace was actually in color and established the uh, the look of the killers. They always have black gloves and often hats and wear trench coats and... Masks. Uh, yeah, or, or in that one, he's actually wearing a mask. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's basically a murder mystery, and that kind of led into slasher movies. Uh, Carpenter has said you – know, both Carpenter for Halloween and uh, 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 I cannot remember the name of the guy who did Black Christmas. Bob Clark. Yeah. Bob Clark. Thank you. Bob Clark. They both have said that they were uh, – that they kind of were basing their stuff around both Hitchcock and the Giallo tradition and – all the, all the giallo people and experts, blah blah blah, they all say that uh, that Psycho really is the first of its kind. Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah uh, there's a number of you know uh, documentaries or TV specials about you know, sort of the history of horror, and they always credit you know Psycho as the first. Um, Slasher the, uh, movie? Not necessarily. They often say first slasher movie, but it's really just first modern horror. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's usually the first modern horror, and then they credit like uh, Night of the Living Dead as like yeah the f- mm. first 
something else. I don't remember what they always say, but and then they always skip ahead and they're like, and then Psycho led to Halloween, and that's not the case. The case no. it's Psycho <laughs> it's... led to a lot of, and then it was actually fun because I was when we were going through, uh, or at least when I was going through, you know, catching up on Italian horror. Like I watched uh, Fulci's Don't Torture a Duckling and um, uh, Bay of Blood, also known as Twitch of the Death Nerve, and. You know, there's a lot of moments that you see lifted wholesale. Um, oh, definitely. In 80s, you know, American slasher movies. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's always a killer. There's always, um, usually, there's someone who's caught up in it and then also like a police detective. Mm-hmm. Right. They are, uh, we're going to go into Brave the Coastal Plumage, but basically, Argento started the whole thing where you have a foreigner in Italy, usually who uh, is some sort of artist, like a writer or a musician or something like that, who is then see something he, he or she wasn't supposed to see, usually a he, and uh, can't quite put together what they saw as the only witness, and then is targeted by the criminal. Uh-huh. And, and that, that is... Has to keep searching, you know, has to figure out the crime. Yeah, he becomes obsessed with it. And that is what mm-hmm. you just said, is the plot of Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Basically, um, yeah. Yeah, and, it's uh, like the template for a lot of Jello films, definitely. That plot. Um, I, I, and there's a lot I do like about it. Um, and uh, uh, it's not the first Jello movie I've seen, but it is probably the the best I've seen, just because um, it's better paced, and I think the the characters are stronger than a lot of Jello. I mean, I also watched uh, Deep Red. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is pretty much the exact same plot as what you just described, uh, except this time it's a pianist, um, and instead of like teaming up with the police detective, he teams up with a reporter. But and yeah, reporters, f- another thing that the Italians were obsessed with at that time, they that's right. They're sure. reporters. It was Even a, in, in, zombie is a reporter. That's right, and in don't to- torture a duckling. It's a reporter. Yeah, yeah. Fulci was especially obsessed with reporters for yeah. some reason. <laughs> that's um. I really like the opening uh, sequence in which he witnesses the murder. Uh, I love – I don't know what the hell – That the other thing is – the other fun thing about Italian horror is you often don't exactly know what the hell is going on because they they won't let logic get in the way of a really good set piece. And right. there seems to be this reoccurring um, element of um, fractured memory a lot in these movies where like the lead character – can't piece together everything, you know, either from the shock of seeing it or what, but it's more of like, oh man, I'm, I'm missing this one piece of information or whatever. The, the, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, so he gets trapped in, and what I was going to say is like, he gets trapped in like, uh, in, there's an art museum and he gets trapped, I guess, in the sort of the foyer or the waiting room, but it's like yeah. a six foot by 10 foot glass yes. box that yeah. he cannot get out of. And, and it's like that just because... Argento had this image of a guy trapped in a uh, a uh, fish tank. Exactly, uh, and that's nice. definitely the you know he feels like he's in captivity. There's a great moment where not only is he watching the woman being murdered and uh, you know calling or being attempted murdered, uh, she actually survives the ordeal, which I think is surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then someone comes, like a bystander comes by, and he's trying to call for help, and that person can't, can't hear him. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, no, but that whole sequence, uh, you know, I really like, you know, the voyeurism stuff, which is very Hitchcockian, where he's being forced to watch something. Yeah. Um, 
And then, and then I like the use of freeze frames too during the murder. Right. And that wasn't that wasn't not common at the time. Right. I think <sighs> that's the thing that that's the thing about that movie stylistically because you know Birds of Crystal Plumage isn't nearly as colorful and it doesn't have nearly as many steady cam shots and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's it's got that those still frames that they kind of zoom in on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that yeah. touch a lot. Yeah, early on when the photographer is taking photographs of his victims, uh, it'll, you know, it'll just mm-hmm. freeze frame and then they'll put a little box on it to signify it's a picture being taken. But. Right. Which, by the way, uh, uh, Tarantino used that in Death Proof and used the actual song from Bird of the Crystal Plumage, too. Oh, hey. Well, I don't sure. know if it's only in the longer cut, but I know it's there. I've, I've I seen it. I remember freaking out and telling the person behind me and them not giving a shit. <laughs> Speaking of De Palma, though, I mean, I definitely see an influence from this movie, too, just like the way they play back the audio recording later. Yeah, blowout. This is very – it's very blowout, um, yeah. the way he keeps trying to repeat the memory and you keep seeing um, – like there, you see it from you know different angles. You see it from far up and then you see it – but then you also see the same shot repeated – and there's, it's a weird effect because you never in movies see the same shot repeated again and again, like right after one another. Right. Um, yeah. And it's very interesting. It, it, was, it was jarring, but just in a way that I thought it was interesting. Like, um, oh, never seen this And before. I do like – I really like the, the character. I think this – I think I like how the movie has a sense of humor. I mean I think Deep Red yeah, also had a sense of humor. I noticed that. I was laughing a lot more in this one I, than Deep Red also other. had a sense of humor, but like Deep Red wasn't funny. It was just kind of lame and – Yeah. Um. Like the he like tried to do like Battle of the Sexes stuff and it was just like yeah, kind of I love that stuff. That's oh uh, yeah. The, there's just some things you cannot do with liberated women. Is yeah. I've yeah. always loved that line. I just thought it was hilarious. Well, you know the part of the thing, and we're not talking about Deep Red. I know, but right. you said Blowout and uh, Blowout was based on Blow Up, right? And Tony uh, and Tony. Antonioni, I believe. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I'm bad with uh, foreign pronunciations. Uh, uh, Deep Red was sort of based on that too, and that's why he hired David Hemmings. Was oh, that's right because mm. he was in Blow Up. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's fun watching a piece together. But I do what I was saying. I do really like the character. I think it's funny. Like um, one of the things you kind of get quickly get used to in Giallos is they're not exactly super, and this is where they have a big departure. At least, I mean, again, I haven't seen all, uh, even many Giallos, but from what I've noticed, they're not really tightly paced, which is probably the biggest departure from the work of Hitchcock. Uh, or like the slasher movies too. Those. Right. Yeah. yeah. Slasher movies are always, you know, trying to be very tight and stuff but there's, i found myself getting restless a there's lot. a lot well i like not, the, not so much in this one though in the beginning i like the digressions i like that long lineup scene that just ends bring in the, the punchline yeah, yeah bring out the perverts <laughs> and then the transvestite comes out it's like that's not a pervert it's just a transvestite it's like i should hope not and that's it we not, don't even yeah. find out if i love that the, scene yeah <laughs> there's no there's no like fault there's the scene doesn't end with him like do any of these people look familiar no it just ends with that joke I love that the flamboyant museum guy was yeah, yeah that's, it was really funny. That he was says, a, he says uh, instead of saying I'm not homophobic, he says I'm no racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> It'd be great if they, yeah they just didn't have a word for homophobic yet. Maybe and they just <laughs> said not racist. I guess um, I like there's this weird undercurrent where they have like 
Italy's top scientists working on it. Yeah. Where they're like, well, just priest these into the computer. And the computer prints out, like, a weird, uh, what's the term? ASCII, like, kind of drawing of a man. <laughs> like, and, it, and the description is totally wrong, of course. Yeah. It's um, almost like he's saying something about it. Because every one of those machines gives the wrong, it doesn't know what the bird sound is. Yeah. Gives the wrong description. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. these are these are all digressions that don't build tension. They're just sort <laughs> no. of that reminded yeah. me of the scene in Willy Wonka where they're using a computer to try and figure out where the chocolate bar, the the last chocolate. Oh, bar that's right, is. yeah, because it has that but they, little. But you don't get it's sound. a joke until the end of the movie, though. Yeah, <laughs> you realize how wrong it was. Um, I mean, I I, th- I didn't know that that part was joke that it was wrong that was the joke, but I did definitely feel like it was just kind of goofy how many. Like, people in lab coats were in this murder thriller. <laughs> um, uh, I like, I mean, but then the digressions sort of start to take their toll somewhere around the third act when, uh, I, I don't know if they're just not as good or if it's just I've had enough, but um, when he meets the artist who asks, and the, he has that long, like, probably 10 minute scene <laughs> yeah. that has of no consequence except to have a joke about him eating he cats. Eating cats. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's my. F- that's I. I love it. I just love the way he realizes he's eaten cat, and he just keeps answering questions with "Oh no, <laughs> oh no," and and you realize that. Well, I mean, it has a purpose. He gets the whole painting that the guy recognizes. I mean, it doesn't have a huge purpose, but it does. I don't know. I kind of missed that Argento didn't do that in later movies. I I kind of liked the silly digression because it made because. Most giallo don't have any sense of humor. Really? Well, yeah, yeah I, didn't, but... I didn't really get much of a sense of humor from uh, Don't Torture a Duckling. No, and it's called Don't Torture a Duckling, and it's not funny. It's... <laughs> yeah. I guess the, the only real joke in that movie is that they have a Donald they, – they, they, uh, they got away with using Donald Duck's likeness, and somehow Disney didn't jump yeah. on them for that. Yeah, exactly. Well, mm-hmm. the original title was Don't Torture Donald Duck, I believe. <laughs> really? At some, at some point, they were going to go with that, yeah. That's a great – speaking of great unused uh, Giallo titles, uh, we were talking earlier about uh, Edgar Wright said one of the – I believe it was Bay of Blood. He said one of the unused titles for that – or maybe alternate titles for that was That Will Teach Them to Be Bad. <laughs> and Bay of Blood, not really a Giallo, but it is a Italian slasher, so it sort of has a lot familiar and has that great title. Yeah, don't torture Donald Duck. I'd love to see a mashup of like DuckTales but, and Giallo. But I would say like the <laughs> scene with the the scene with the painter sort of does qualify or does exemplify, I should say rather, uh a lot of the problems I have in that like all of the things that you think are bits of evidence and information and I mean the way most mysteries work are yeah. you're given a little bit at a time and you're given all the pieces but because you can't put them together the right way, you can't figure it out. And then yeah. once that connection does happen, it's a great oh moment. It's a great release where, you know, the audience is given the solution to the puzzle. He spends so much time like talking to a pimp uh, that again Dick stutters and says so long. At yeah, the- so he long. says so long at the end of everything, <laughs> or else I like how he goes. I have to say so long, or else I stutter, and then he stutters the whole time anyway. <laughs> um, there's that. There's there's like long moments where he's staring at the painting and it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, just little things like that can be clipped to make it and tighter. I would, I mean, I would love it if that all, I mean, I would love all those humorous things if they 
built up to something because I like I mean I like a sense of humor and I like things to be a little silly but it, it, it I feel like he just likes to throw in detours you know to fuck with the audience you know and that's fun for him you know yeah <laughs> no I, I, mean, I agree and it is fun and it was fun for me for a while but too many of them you know um now the murder scenes are kind of cool though um that's what I was very what I, cool about most of his movies I, and I mentioned earlier I think uh and early on, you see the box, and it's red velvet lined, and it has all of his knives in it, um, similar to the box with a, a, a certain yeah. character. I'm not going to – it's not really a spoiler at all, but a certain character has a box of razor blades. In very drive. Very bright – yeah, in drive. Very bright, <laughs> shiny, polished silver razor blades, and he keeps them in a wooden box with mm. a red velvet interior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't, that, there's a, isn't there a red box like that in uh, Suspiria as well? Um, I'm not picturing one. I, I, there was maybe it wasn't. There's some other movie. I was like, oh, I think it was Suspiria, but I can't picture the context. So whatever. Well, but. Deep Red has all those weird fetishizing weapons scenes and those like that 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 visual metaphor of losing marbles and stuff like that. Uh, but I can't remember if it's actual box that they come out of. You know, yeah, I know. I love the. I love the. That was. Some of my favorite moments of Deep Red were the um, sort of uh, the mu- the children's music playing over the close-ups of the uh-huh. the beads and the yeah, like you said, very the fetish fetishistic black leather gloves being put on. That's 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 the hallmark that uh, started with Bava, but that Argento really pushed. And in fact, uh, I, you might know this already, but usually, almost always, uh, scenes of black gloves doing things are Argento's hands. Um, I knew oh, that. Yeah, I I think I did know that at some point he yeah, played the murder that, scenes on IMDb. But too. yeah, um, no, but I like the murder scenes. I like uh, the particularly. Now this might just because of a personal thing, but I always have when I was a kid. Um, the way my room was set up was that my bed was right in. The, it was sort of a longer room, and my bed was right in the middle, and at the very other end was the door. Um. And so I would often end up leaving the door open, and then I'd look, and there'd be light. And one of my constant nightmares was a, just a man's figure stepping in and just seeing a silhouette. Mm. You know, yeah. it, it was usually Michael Myers or something because that was one of the earliest you know horror movies I've seen. But um, that the the scene where the woman who's sort of stopping and putting on her pajamas and all that, you know, uh, <laughs> undressing. Yeah. And that, and that, the, that it, music in that scene too is like. Like really intense, uh, the Neil Morricone score. Yeah, it just keeps building and building and building and building. And then, and then she goes to she's smoking a cigarette or maybe it was a tiny cigar. I can't tell. And she goes to put it out, and then when she looks back, there's just a figure in the doorway. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> it really got me. And it, um, and it's not a, it wasn't necessarily a movie I expected to really scare me, but that was a great moment. And of course, again, the super fetishistic. Uh, way that the he uses sh- uh, the killer um, uses the razor blade to uh, cut the night you know gown off and then to cut the fucking panties off and rip them off and yeah. then killer like oh god like you know, the panty shot is the only thing that I remember being two cut. two things are cut for the PG rated version right and that was they I mean they had the nightgown cut the blood all that stuff but I just the panty tear off that was it. There was there was another I think because the 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 copy I had 
the uh, you, I could tell when things were previously cut because all of the scenes in which someone like I think there was an earlier kill where there's a lot of blood um, and suddenly the quality gets just gets really shitty. The bit where he uh, where the killer pushes uh, the girl into I believe it's an elevator and slices up her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there's mm-hmm. there's a bit of that. The point of view shots are cut for some reason. I guess that was particularly objectionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. But. Well, I, I mean, no, I know that was when the uh, when the slasher movies got big in America. You know, and Ebert and Siskel started their tirade Ugh, against him. One yeah. of the things they said was, "It's always POV shots because you identify with the killer." And, and that's Argento's doing. And well, also, I, I think in Giallo, it serves the purpose of not letting you know who it is. You know, yeah, definitely. It's more to right. ma- like. Well, like, well, that's the problem with with Blood and Black Lace is you have this goofy character running around in like a stocking mask, mm-hmm. and it and, and and Argento changed it to be point of view instead. It works a lot better. I yeah, think. I, I mean, like the opening there of Halloween. Some moments in that movie that tricked me, like the the camera would be moving in a certain direction. I would think, are we look are we from the point of view of the killer, and he's about to stalk somebody or not? Like. Blood and Black Lace like messed with my head in a couple of points. It well, it's a weirdly put together movie too. It is. It definitely is. But there's like genuine jump scares for me in yeah. that that really freaked me out. I um, found that to be really effective. And I will say the the set pieces are all very effective. I really like the chase scene um, where oh the, yeah oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. okay which through the bus guy? through like the Bus yeah. All right. I mean, are we allowed to do spoilers? Yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's number one. It's an old movie, and yeah. here come the spoilers. So now you know. Well, if I'm gonna, if if later I'm gonna go into the screaming Mimi, I have to get into spoilers. So. Yeah. Uh, the the guy is hired by the killer's husband to uh, kill Sam. Okay. Is to throw Sam off the case because he knows the cops aren't getting anywhere because cops are oh. always totally ineffectual in these movies. Right. And so that was a guy who was hired he, by. He's seen he's seen these kinds of movies before. He knows what's up. Well, that that well, the saddest thing is is that Argento made two police procedurals recently: uh, the Card Player and Giallo, which ironically isn't a Giallo movie, uh, and they're just terrible. They're awful. They're like watching a bad episode of CSI. Yeah, I haven't they're, heard good things about recent Argento at all. Oh, uh, we can go into that later. It's sure. so terrible, yeah. awful, awful. But um. But yeah, so he was hired by the husband is the idea behind that. It definitely took me a couple of viewings to figure that out. I have no idea why yeah, he walks into like a union or it's like a union meeting. or Like, like he, a, had, he had that plan. Like that was his getaway because he was yeah. dressed just like a union guy. Um, I mean, that whole sequence is great. There's one shot in particular. I, I, I want to describe it well, but I'm not sure. But it's basically the main character is being chased by the killer and it's a long shot and – there's like pools of light and they run into a shadow and you can't see him at all. And then he runs into the light and then you see him and then he runs in the shadow. You can't see him. Like he's disappearing as he's getting bigger. I love that shot. There, and yeah, I saw yeah. it. I, you know, I like paused it. And I'm like, oh, that's great. That whole, the whole chase between all the buses and everything. There's a really yeah, awesome. There's a great, yeah, the, the bus scene. And then there's a great zoom in when he gets shot yeah. at and the, uh, it's, goes, it's almost like we're following the bullet. He does like a crash zoom. Yeah. As the bullet hits something. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's great and it's very you know stylish and it's exciting and then you know you really get the idea that oh this is someone who knows what he's doing he knows how to build tension even if the overall structure of the story isn't necessarily the best. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think I real like here's my biggest problem with every Giallo I've seen the killer is always impossible to guess. Um, yet they spend so much time 
like teasing the audience with evidence that doesn't add up to anything that it's always just disappointing that so uh, like I was really trying to follow it this time because I'm generally not good at guessing mysteries in general but it's mostly like a Scooby Doo kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh that person there it, it there's definitely been comparisons between Scooby Doo and Giallo I I think <laughs> I've definitely read a web web comic or something it, it's totally they. Yeah, it, it turned out it was old man so and so. Yeah, it's totally of that ilk. Yeah, yeah. Or it's, it's just well, it's that one person from before, and it's like, well, it's like, well, how come? Well, there's no real motive. They just, I mean, they're crazy. They're killing people. Yeah. Why would they kill yeah. someone? And that comes out of Psycho. That why was he killing people? Because he's mad. Yeah. Um, and then you fine. have to have the explanation at the end. Well, well, in in, in this, there's, there's a big psycho. psychosexual. I, yeah. I definitely think that the last scene of this movie, in which the uh, sort of talk show host is explaining the everything epilogue that is uh is a, the hat to psycho. is a humorous not like it's making yeah. fun of the end of psycho it's very silly right um and i like that you know even 1970 he was doing that silly now that i think about it <laughs> yeah, that's true <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so we'll talk about suspiria in a bit suspiria is the same thing where yeah. it's it's like wait really that's okay um, no i was pleasantly surprised by this movie because a couple of the giallo movies i just mainly because of the the characters or the acting would, would you know pretty much brought it down for me like because well, i like i like movies that are kind of you know either based in you know the sherlock holmes or the edgar Allan poe sort of sensibilities about it because i grew up reading that kind of stuff and i liked i like a good mystery but at the same time if the characters aren't interesting i don't feel like sticking around or i i get a disconnect from it I'm just. I, I would mostly just watch it for the cool murder scenes and go, "Wow, that was really well shot, well put together." So for the most part, I felt like, "Oh, there is." It's mostly style over substance, and I'm okay with that for 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 the majority of these movies. But this one, I felt like at least, you know, with with its sense of humor and the fact that I didn't entirely dislike the lead character for once, it, it worked on pretty much every. Well, level. and correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe, but aren't most of these movies are sort of shot to be dubbed later they're not shot yeah, with sound right it was it was pretty common in italy to just shoot them without sound and internationally release them and usually the a lot not usually but um a lot of the time the lead actor will be british or american mm-hmm. uh, john uh, i believe it was john saxon was in torso or no uh, what was john saxon in? Tenebrae. john saxon was in the first it was in tenebrae yeah he yeah. was also in the uh the girl who knew too much he was in the first one okay. he was oh, back wow. when he was sexy yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, uh, but well, t- Tony uh, Mas- Masante, I believe, is how you pronounce it. The lead in in Bird uh, is actually uh, was so difficult, according to Argento, whose interviews aren't necessarily trustworthy. But yeah. apparently, he was so difficult to work with that um, Argento has ever since treated actors like shit. <laughs> well, that was actually what I was going to talk about. Is I mean, you have to – when it comes to bad acting in movies that are dubbed, you have to give a little bit benefit. It's sort of – to me, it's like complaining about bad sound in a movie from the 30s. It's like mm-hmm. that's just how it is, you know? And if a movie's dubbed, the performances are going to suffer. Um, yeah. Um, you know, even something you know like Suspiria, which I think has many very good performances, there's a lot of laughable moments because the dialogue is so clearly dubbed. Um, but – it's the same thing with spaghetti westerns. Yeah, it's yeah. Those spaghetti westerns, I think, maybe get away with it more because the the emotions they're dealing with, like the characters, are generally very reserved, and as opposed to a horror movie where it's you know crazy screaming and 
Right, right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's also masculine versus feminine too. Yeah, I, I, I feel like majority of uh, no matter what anybody wants to tell me otherwise, which I'm sure they will. I feel like the majority of spaghetti <laughs> westerns are very masculine, and the majority of uh, giallo are are somewhat feminine. Uh, I definitely America. noticed that in Argento's work that it's always very you know focused on women as the killers or women right. are the killer. Actually, I would average it out. Over all the giallo I've seen, it's at least fifty-fifty. It's got to be between men and women being the killer. Like, well, that's hmm. the that whole whisper voice thing because the whisper co- covers up over the phone. Yeah, covers up the. I I was just watching Scream Four the other day, and I just feel like that whole scream voice cover-up thing was kind of birthed from the whole whisper voice thing at Crystal Plumage covering yeah. up who the sex was because in the screen movies you can't know who the sex is because they have a uh, modulator. Right. By the way, I always love that the modulator is just clearly a different person. They don't even try to oh, make yeah, it sound right. like a modulator. It was even worse than the fourth one. The guy added a lot more personality to his voice for the fourth one. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and then like there'd be the scene where the person would be like, like the person would be unmasked and then they'd hold up the voice box and then they'd talk into it and it was clearly just a different person's voice coming out. Like it's yeah. – there are voice modulators, you know, on like Xbox headsets and stuff. They don't sound <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I guess it would scream wouldn't nearly work so well, and especially in the opening scene, if it sounded like a robot, you know, right? Uh, so yeah, it's, you got to give him that, I suppose. Yeah, but um, I, here's the thing: Argento, you know, he kind of he in one of the documentaries you were kind enough to send me. Uh, he was saying that he likes to treat actors like cattle, which is, you know, an Alfred Hitchcock quote. But the problem is, you know, the difference is Alfred Hitchcock worked with, you know, Cary Grant and and like people who people who don't need direction. They're just going to be good no matter what. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Dario Argento doesn't work with those people. And I think a lot of his movies, the performances kind of suffer. Yeah, he's not an actor's director. That's, you know. I he has a lot in common with George Lucas, I'd say, and it comes the hmm. way he works with actors, the way he shuffles them around, he edits around performances. He doesn't care about it really, right? And I, I everything I've read says that that dealing with Masante and Bird had a lot to like. There's a story that Masante called him up at three in the morning to ask his motivation or something like that, <laughs> and it just didn't make any sense to Argento at all. Like I think outside of America, uh, especially in the late 60s early 70s i don't think anybody gave a shit about uh method acting yeah you you still hear like like the silence of the lambs uh commentary track is 90 percent anthony uh anthony hopkins complaining about people who do method acting <laughs> really it's like not even on subject he's just like and you know i don't have to become a serial killer to be a serial killer yeah. and, <laughs> like nope that was that really asked or it's just <laughs> that's crazy that's great but so I mean that would be my problems with it, but I do really I did really like Bird. Um, it, it's nice that it is a it's like a reasonable length. It's not too long, um, right? It's, it's, ni- it's ninety minutes or so, just barely over. That's a plus for sure. Uh, uh, they're usually pretty short. That's always yeah. I would say that that when it comes to G- uh, part of the reason I think I got so attached to Italian horror so early is that uh, I am generally a more artistic person than. I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like a snobby bastard, but <laughs> I tend to think like I, I was never huge into stuff like uh, Sherlock Holmes and that. So the mystery part is 
if that works, that's just the icing on the cake, and and it hardly ever works. I, well, it's for, not necessarily the strength of these movies, like no, the overall I, mystery. Times, like I, I feel like, I feel like you know, actually, Don't Torture a Duckling had a pretty decent, uh, and 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 almost, almost emotionally effective, uh, reveal on the killer. I, mm. I, I, it's po- very possible, but at. Uh, I couldn't follow it, and I I will say that a lot of that might be just my own failings in being able to um, remember which character is which, because there's a lot of fucking characters in that movie. It's way more than most of those movies. That's a pretty... Yeah, it's... I I feel like this is uh, one of the things they definitely took from Psycho that I see in Italian horror all the time, especially uh, the Gento movie Inferno, is... The uh, oh, we're gonna kill the person you think is the main character. We're gonna kill oh, yeah. them off. Uh, like Inferno, like has like three main character changes in it. Well, it, it the you know, and I I I actually like Inferno, but I cannot argue in favor of that one because the characters are so weak. Yeah, <laughs> the, I mean, you don't, the actual guy who ends up being your lead is the most uninteresting person in any Argento movie, practically. You yeah, know. and I mean, and I think to Torture a Duckling definitely had that as well, where you're like, okay, so this is about the little... No, it's not about the little kid. Yeah. <laughs> so this is about... No, it's not about her, because she just got killed to a groovy funk song. Oh, that scene's so brutal, though. That is scene, that's a very good scene, and that was definitely... Um, but anyway, this isn't about... Uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, it, well, the other thing I wanted to say about Birth of Crystal Plumage, just, just watching it, just so I could say something original about it, is yeah. the thing I've never heard anybody discuss is... Susie Kendall's character, the girlfriend, mm-hmm. she is a, I think, a lot like Grace Kelly's character in Rear Window. That's good. Where point. She's okay, yeah. Really patient with her boyfriend. She's right. well. She first of all, they're both gorgeous women who these guys are lucky to have. Yeah, and they're ignoring all their love and affection. And in spite of the fact that these kind of worthless guys being obsessed with dangerous things and putting themselves in trouble, they're still going along with it and helping out. I think the best moment of that is they literally are just so lustful, lusting after each other that they just basically start having sex when they're friends in the room. And the yeah, friend's like, still. the friend's going, um, I guess I'll go now. And it's like, yeah, do that. But then in the yeah, middle of just... it, he stops and it's like, wait a second, that painting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then she she screams at him and says, why are you doing this? And throws something and he says, ha ha, cut it out. <laughs> and it's like he throws it's like the funniest moment in the whole movie because you're like no listen to her asshole she, she's not joking around and then of course you know because he leaves her alone she's almost killed no that's a very good that's a very good observation I and mean, i i well i think Susie kendall is is a step above a lot of those actresses and that's why they used her in torso okay. uh, just real quick i do want to ask the story the, not the story the scene in which um she's being uh, like she's alone uh, when the boyfriend's away, and then yeah. the killer starts coming in and like looking through the, uh, like chopping at the door or whatever, looking through yeah. the hole, and and then it suddenly just abruptly ends with her waking up, and I'm like, wait, is that all a dream? And then like I actually had to go back and watch the scene again to realize it wasn't all a dream. It was just off camera the boy scared the killer away or something like yeah you like hear him kind of you know i'm guessing you were watching the vci cut if you could see differences in the uh quality instead of the blue underground yeah. disc well yeah uh, i'm that might be I, I just got it from netflix i don't really know but yeah yeah the blue underground disc and blue underground's blu-ray uh you can hear the sound a lot better and you oh. can definitely hear uh the boyfriend 
come up the stairs and shout her name and you realize the killer hears him and runs away. I'm always interested oh, okay. in weird cuts like that. Um, but he does do a lot of those weird cuts where you're just like all of a sudden in a different scene. And <laughs> there's uh, yeah, there's one a little bit like that in uh, Suspiria, um, actually. That, but the biggest one that I have never gotten anyone to answer me is the weird moment in Poltergeist, in which it all, it feels like uh, it, it feels like when my you know when I used to tape movies off the TV. Uh, and then I, it would go to a commercial and I'd cut and and I'd press stop. And then when it would come back from commercial, I was slow to press record and it'd pick up right in the yeah. middle of a scene. In uh, Poltergeist, there's a scene where they're talking in the kitchen and then it cuts like really abruptly and randomly to them being outside the neighbor's house, like being swatted by mosquitoes and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. Um, it's always bizarre to me and I've never been able to get to the bottom of why the hell that happens. Hmm. Especially well, so in such problem a problem was is when you're recording those, you hit stop instead of pause. Oh, yeah, that there was, you go. That was the key to recording movies <laughs> off TV is you hit pause and then it starts a lot faster. Yeah, that was it. That was definitely my problem, <laughs> um, especially like a big budget movie like that. You know, mm-hmm. not necessarily a big budget, but big profile. Steven Spielberg, I know that. Anyway. Yeah. Well, um, it, it, just because I took the time to watch it, I just wanted to mention I did see Argento-based bird, the Crystal Plumage, off a book called The Screaming Mimi. Uh-huh. And I watched the whole movie and then read a description of the book to see the difference between the book and the movie. And unfortunately, the really cool twist at the end isn't Argento's. Oh, really? The the in 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 the Screaming Mimi, the things that are similar is that the Screaming Mimi itself is a statue of a girl who was murdered instead of a painting. Huh. And uh, what happened is the girl wasn't murdered; she was sent to an insane asylum got out under a different name and was hypnotized. And when she sees the screaming Mimi, she has a break and this guy saves her from what he thinks is a ripper killer. And then at the end, we find out that she was the ripper killer all along. The only difference is that she's not a psychopath. She actually was out hypnotized and couldn't remember that she did it. So Argento hmm. makes it a lot more. What's, what's funny is I just, you just made those like connections where, oh, the, it's a painting of her and then she re-sees it and then it re-triggers the killer in her. Like, I literally didn't make that connection until you oh, just... Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason she does it is because she realized, oh my god, that was this horrible thing that happened to me that I totally forgot about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I see it and now I cracked and my, you know, I, I just trying to kill my husband because I'm a crazy person now. And then... uh because and it's a whole it's a whole trend Argento makes it a whole transference of sexual like appetite that she's using a phallus to stab girls yeah I mean you could go on about that in fact uh, in I don't know how you pronounce her last name I believe it's McDonough uh, Matlin McDonough's book she goes on for several pages about the uh, Freudian implications of the what book was that well I want to see that it's called Broken Mirrors Broken Minds actually she just um she is, she is one of only two uh, quote-unquote famous people that I had to friend on Facebook. I think mm. she's actually answered one of my things once. But uh, Broken Mirrors, Broken Minds, she just rewrote it and and it was republished uh, late last year. And I haven't gotten that yet. Mine ends with Stendhal Syndrome, I believe. And she's updated it with all his movies since then. It's, a really, it's, it's the only book you really need to read on Argento. Good, good to note. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about that. I mean, cause I, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of Freudian touches, especially with the killer. There's always some sort of um, indication that they've repressed something from their past, and it's sort of manifested itself. Especially in itself. Deep Red. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, yeah that's I mean, of course, that all started with Psycho. Yeah, there's, the, there's Psycho. That is too. the text. That's not even subtext. That is the yeah, text. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And and, and and see, and that's part of why I like Deep Red. I I like I liked that story in Deep Red. It's to me that story is my probably next to maybe Bird. I don't know either Deep Red or Bird. The Crystal Plumage are my two favorites of his. I, I think the the pacing in Deep Red was a little off. Um, and see, I, after watching a bazillion giallo movies there's something you get used to that sure you get conditioned to expect that it's really refreshing it feels like a real movie sometimes okay no i could i could see that it's and there and then there's all this doppelganger stuff in there Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. lois yeah uh, it it's 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 not what we're talking about today so (laughs) i'm just curious uh how you guys feel about the 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 murder scenes and in that uh i like I read a couple of things online about how people feel he completely fetishizes the act of violence. Oh, he absolutely does. You know, in a very, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's just, it's just like you know the the knives and spikes and scissors and scissors and broken well, glass and that he sort of lingers on them for long periods. I don't have a problem with I, that. I don't but, have the I don't have the yeah. author's name in front of unfortunately, but. There's a book I want to. I'll probably lend you, Jim. It's called Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Ooh. Oh, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's uh, it's all just a feminist reading of of horror movies. And there's oh. you know uh, Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And... A lot of these weapons could be considered phallic. Yeah, and <laughs> it's it's all about just these are you know they're driven by male gaze. You know the woman undressing in the mirror. Yep, and, yep. Uh, all that and uh, they are and I mean, but I would say what makes them fun is that they're trashy. You know, okay, yeah, um, I would agree. But at the same time, Argento is kind of progressive Relishing in a little in ways. Yeah. he he always has like gay characters. He um, treats them well too. He has gay characters and treats them, yeah, pretty well. I mean, I guess they're pretty comedic in Bird, but uh, uh, Cat and Nine Tails has a gay character who is just a dude. Um, did you watch Four Flies with Gra- on Grey Velvet? I did not get a chance. No, mm. the the police officer is just gay. That's just the way it is. Hmm. Um. The, I think that the the gay stuff in Deep Red is actually quite well handled. Yeah, because it shows like his boyfriend being very concerned and who yeah. is, is is totally a chicken man drag. By the way, <laughs> I didn't notice that. Maybe you yeah, can sort of over uh, a male voice. Maybe you can kind of uncover some correlations between um, Argento and Almodovar. Then I I would say so, but I I mean maybe I, I think most like heavy heavy cineasts and film fans would say that was bullshit. But I I think. <laughs> That, that there are some connections. Well, just sort of like the, the, but aesthetic, at the same, the aesthetic detail and sort of the, the color. At the same time, I will not say, I mean, number one, I haven't seen all of his movies, but number two, um, you know, I, I just, it doesn't feel, he doesn't, he doesn't hate women, but I will say Argento clearly has issues with women. He's totally yeah. said he hates women before. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. He's on record saying they're untrustworthy and blah. Yeah. I mean, not as much as Fulci. Fulci. I think, I came was a ac- flat out misogynist. I but- came across a quote here, and he says, "I like women, especially beautiful ones. If they have a good face and figure, I would much prefer to watch them being murdered than an <laughs> ugly man." Yeah, I mean, he's he's honest about it. He's <laughs> he's not. He's yeah. Well, and and there's a whole uh, there's a whole thing about the way he uses his family members in his movies. Yeah, and that. Daria Nicoletti, uh, who he met on the set of Deep Red, who he treats kind of like a goddess in Deep Red. Like she's really – she's basically his girl Friday in Deep Red. Um, and then okay. she helped him write Suspiria 
and then they got to Inferno, and they were starting to fight, so she gets killed by cats, or I can't remember if the cats kill her in Inferno. She gets pelted by cats, at the very least, in Inferno. That was a very funny moment, by the way. <laughs> and and as the movies progress, she is left, in, and, and by, by opera, she's getting shot through the eye, and they aren't t- on speaking terms anymore. In opera is probably my favorite moment from opera, in yeah. which the bullet goes through the keyhole, uh, through her head, and then destroys the phone. The phone that was there. I wanted to stand up and applaud. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's yeah, it's you almost don't notice it destroys the phone. It's so good that it's in slow motion because that's yeah. that's the end of that's the period on that sentence. That's yeah. like that's like a Raimi moment for me. Like yeah. that's something you'd see in Quick and the Dead, where it's just like fucking awesome. That was great. Yeah, so, I mean, but I think you can be a fan of and watch immoral movies, you know. I think uh, the uh, Howard Hawks movie, what, uh, Sergeant York? Sergeant York, I think that's very immoral, and that's all about, like, eliminating your identity to serve the noble purpose of the United States. and Or that Billy Wilder movie with um, Kirk Douglas. Well, no, I think that movie criticizes Kirk Douglas's character, whereas the okay, yeah, there. I mean, but Ace in the Hole, yeah. But you can you can like movies that are immoral, and I don't. And I think that's one of the reasons I never liked you know what Ebert says about horror movies. Because oh, no, yeah. he had that one experience I think was spit, on, I, your spit on your grave. Yeah. Where, spit on your grave, yeah. Where people were cheering the rape or whatever. But uh, yet he loves Last House on the Left. No, that's <laughs> I was just gonna say that. What what the hell logic is that? Yeah, um, I I've never gotten that. I mean, again, but I think he 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 has sort of an annoying tendency to be like, well, what about the children? Like, he wants to save mm-hmm. people, and I don't think that's necessary. I think you can watch something, and you can enjoy it for its for the very fact that it's dirty, and it's kind of grimy and exploitative, yeah. uh, but not allow it to color your opinion. Of... I, I would just hope most audience members can separate themselves from the movie experience and reality. I don't think that's necessarily a filmmaker's job either. Well, I know. No, it's not. I'm not saying it, it has to be, but... Well, that was that whole... I just watched three documentaries in a row on the whole video nasties thing in England. Yeah. Where mm. the whole point of it was, oh, these movies are going to make people kill if they see them. and and But we're allowed to watch them for the sake of censorship because we're better than you normal people. And won't be affected by the violence, but we can't let you normal people see this because you might actually go do these horrible things. Uh, but I, it clearly fetishizes violence. I mean, that's what makes it special. That's what well, I, like. that's, I also think that's what makes people uncomfortable with Argento is that it's so artistic, yeah, and pretty that it makes them feel more. Whereas yeah, you watch, I, I felt that you watch way. Last House on the Left, you're like, this is if if you think it's filthy, then it's filthy, and you you could just stop watching it. But mm-hmm. you feel a little guilty, I think, about. Yeah, and that's actually this is something I want to talk about with Suspiria. So maybe this is a good okay, transition yeah. point to talk about Suspiria. Definitely. You can run from Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Suspiria. But 
Suspiria. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. <laughs> this tale of witchcraft at a German dance academy is definitely one of the most beautiful, dreamlike horror films ever conceived, and quite possibly the crowning achievement of Mr. Dario Argento. It was based on a series of essays, which I cannot pronounce, but it begins with the word <laughs> Suspiria, <laughs> and it sort of deals with one of the uh, three mothers, and it became a trilogy over time. These were revolving around ancient and powerful witches who live in various dwelling places around the world in order to spread evil. And uh, this this movie in particular, when I first saw it, I mean, I was so hyped up from it. And people were like, the first 15 minutes of this movie is going to fuck you up. And it did. It definitely did. It, it, and it's I have vivid memories of first watching this movie and being pretty terrified by it. Um and rewatching it, I, I definitely had some issues with it, but overall, I still think it's in, it's definitely in the upper tier of Argento's work. I, I I think this is probably an important, at least going from my and your experiences, it's probably an important movie for high school kids to definitely. watch. Um, I remember always thinking, like wanting to see horror movies because I wanted to see what's the goriest thing I can find. You know, I remember. When I find, when me and my friends finally saw Maniac, it was like, oh my god, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is, I think, a little bit before YouTube. This sort of early my high school age, age, so there wasn't you couldn't just watch look up clips of you know the kills and stuff online, right? Um, and then Suspiria was just something completely different that made me just turn my head about what I thought about horror movies, and because it's just so beautiful and so colorful, but at the same time very violent and very, very operatic and disturbing. Um, <laughs> it's the music. Let's talk about the music. Good uh, God, do Gabe, I love this you're music. you're definitely a fan of um, Goblin. Gob- yes, oh, yeah. as well you should be. Um, I yeah, I've pretty much got their whole collection here. Mm. And I, you know, I'm probably the only person who will ever say this, but I like them more than Yes or Rush <laughs> or Pink Floyd or <laughs> King Missile, any of those prog rock era bands. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. and. What what I think is it, and I do have issues with Goblin as it's used in you know say Deep Red because it's often it just feels counter to the tone of the film in the in that movie where it's very funky and yeah energetic when he's like almost like you hear a black exploitation movie or something yeah <laughs> that funky looking around the haunted house thing in Deep Red is what plays in my mind anytime I'm looking for something. <laughs> And I lost the remote, and I'm hearing doop doop do do doop do doop do 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 doop doop. Yeah, and you're, I can't find it anywhere. It's you're, not you're, any you're saying uh, you're saying earlier that bird with crystal plumage has now made you associate free jazz with being chased by a man with a gun. I think it was really one of my earliest experiences with free jazz. It, it just the don't you know? It's just like <laughs> it's got that that uh, that. Oh, what's the thing called on a trumpet? The mute on the trumpet yeah. that's just making wah wah sounds and. And you know that they're technically in the same key, but they're not really. Yeah. And yeah, these and and I well, I think most people's first experience with Goblin is uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. That's, um, and that's great. That's a. That's, but I think what makes it uh, so work so well in Suspiria is that it's like it's 
bordering on noise at some points. There's a, mm-hmm. there's yes. this, this the scene in the gym where you just hear like like hear people screaming and then one character turns to another and goes like do you hear that snoring and i'm like no but i hear like 30 people screaming (laughs) right they don't hear we only the audience hears that crap and it's funny because yeah there's a lot of moments where i'm like does everyone hear this (laughs) (laughs) yeah is this soundtrack or is this really happening yeah um but of course the the chimes is very effective i like i like how it's used at the very beginning where it cuts to her walking in the uh, you know in the airport, and then it cuts to her point of view, and the music starts playing, and then it cuts to her walking again, and it stops. Yeah, I it like keeps... that well, too. It, and the idea behind that is this sort of like she's still safe because she's inside the airport. Yeah, but, but as soon she as goes she walks outside, outside, it's a horrible storm, oh, and this it's... throbbing music well, is playing. She's going down the uh, rabbit hole. The whole point. movie is just like even. Like every every interaction she has with other human beings in that movie, like the subtext is "fuck you." Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then and then like the one nice experience she has, really. Well, other than I guess her her classmate, her one friend. Yeah. But like even when she's talking to the professor and the doctor, they're having a really, you know, normal conversation. Well, as normal as a conversation about witches can be, but they're being pelted with the like worst wind you've ever seen in your life like yeah her, her hair is in her face and she can't get it out and she's trying to ignore it and i actually just watched my blu-ray that i bought the other day i just watched it yesterday and i bought it a million years ago but i watched the commentary and it's in full surround sound now because like, they took it from the original because it was a four track surround sound mm. so it was as close as we got in the 70s to 5.1 right and there's you could hear like like weird whispering during that scene there's just like literally like chattering that you keep saying it must yeah. be those people over there, but I don't think it is those people over there. I think, I think that they're just adding chattering to to just make it creepy. Yeah, and it is. It's so creepy, and the so like the music the whole time is great. I like. Yeah, I mean, everyone is against her. Even the even the really cute boy that she likes is like under the spell of you know the yeah. you know uh, of the really butch lesbian ballet teacher. Uh, you know, who, who looks like a prison warden in one of those, like, women in prison movies. Right, yeah, she looks like Ilsa. Uh, yeah. Well, and then, you know she was a sex symbol. Was she? Uh, uh, oh. What's her name? Uh, Alita Valley. She was a baroness. And she's in The Third Man and Eyes Without a Face, actually. Oh, that's right. Hmm. That's right. And she was kind of hired out of that tradition, I guess. Um, what I was going to say for earlier from you know what we were talking about, how exploitive the movies are, one of the things I'm impressed with this movie is that it takes place at a girls' boarding school, and they're not sexualized at all. Um, no, they're not. You well, would, you would think true. just even his instinct would be there, but mm-hmm. I like that instead of doing that, he makes them children because when they're children, that makes them more defenseless and more uh, powerless. Mm. Well, the original idea was to actually make them 12-year-olds, and oh, really? the distributor said no. We're, we're, that would just no. We we don't want to have that's too dark. Yeah, you can't have a twelve year old fall fall into a pit of barbed wire. That would really emphasize the sort of Alice in Wonderland fairy tale aspect. And Snow White's a big. He he claims Snow White was his biggest. Oh yeah, yeah. There's definitely and, and Grimm I guess was brothers. Cross. Yeah, but he was Snow specifically White. Disney Snow White. He was. That's why it was so colorful. He wanted it to look like an anime. Uh, so. Right. It's not. It's not shot in Technicolor, but it is one of the last films printed with the Technicolor process. With the oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it was shot on a Kodak stock that they actually literally used all of it up for that film. 
Yeah. Like uh, they found some in uh, a stock of it in China or something and just bought it all and used it all up and nobody can ever use it again. Yeah, whenever great. I whenever I have nightmares, I just hope they're this colorful. <laughs> I just like the vivid reds and blue and yellow. That's the thing that when I first saw this movie, it's just like, look at that, how amazing just the set design and cinematography and just that's, the use of color. That's the other thing that I always wonder, like, do they hear all this screaming or is this part of the music? And I always hear, like, do they realize that when they turn the light off, everything Everything's just starts red. glowing red? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> do they notice? Like, at one point, lightning flashes and it's red flashing. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like red lightning exists in this movie. Um, Nothing wrong with And, of that. course, color is the first thing you think of when you think of this movie. Um, you know, the image this movie has burned in my mind is just primary colors of a haunted a haunted mansion, you know, but in primary colors and uh, the reddest blood. But I really do respond a lot to the story. And um, I think it's just because other rather than, you know, a murder mystery or something like it's kind of there. Uh, well, I mean, well, yeah, he can't escape it. You know, he's trying to put it. He has the whole perception thing where she hears the turn the blue iris thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's as if that's really important when it really isn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and um, that somebody pointed out, and I don't remember who it was on one of the special features, that it's a mystery where the soundtrack literally tells us the answer. Which, which, which? Yeah, it's like oh, there's this horrible mystery. What's going on out here? Well, the soundtrack told you at the very beginning of the movie. That's you just right. Listen. Yeah. This to this time around, I didn't. I never noticed before that when she's getting in the cab or first driving to the to the school, there's a lightning flash and you see like an arm holding something in the trees, like a shadow of it. Uh, proje- yeah, and I never mm. know what that is. I've yeah. never been able to tell what that is. Yeah, I remember seeing that. That was weird. again. It's just like a weird sense of uh, unease, and I really respond to that because it's just. It's less of a story and more just slowly tightening the screws where mm-hmm. now they're not even letting her out of bed. And what the hell are they feeding her? You know, why are they making her drink that wine? What's in that wine? You know, um, what's up with those maggots? <laughs> I can't stand that part. Oh, God, that's so gross. So, when yeah, it's... you probably should stay away from Fulci movies if you have problems. with Yeah, maggots. no, I've, I've seen zombie. I've, I've seen some maggots. Uh, zombie has. Yeah, they don't have a maggot shower in zombie. Though. Right. <laughs> literal maggot but well the thing i was noticing watching again trying to think up creative things to talk about here is how the witches don't actually exhibit all that much evil in this in in suspiria no. they're mostly just defensive and I, there's this weird sense of it like being uh, it's like what if hogwarts was a school for wizards but made its money being also a school for you know, theater students or something. <laughs> I was trying to keep the other part secret from those theater students. That, no, that's nice. a good. That's a good point, though. I think, uh, I think the movie allows you to fill in your mind what plans they have because they already killed two people. So, but they only killed people who were figuring out their shit. It's, yeah, it's like they they're stupid to invite these <laughs> people into their. How did this person figure out we were witches and? You know, we have to kill another one. Well, there's there's weird logic in the first killing where, like, you never see this hairy armed guy again in the movie. Like, yeah, that was the other that was that was that was one of my favorite parts. Is you this hairy arm comes out and then it cuts to outside of the window and clearly where the person's body should be. There's no one, so it's like, is that a ghost arm? Is that? Uh... Yeah. And then it cuts to upstairs. Suddenly, she's up in like the attic, just between cuts. Yeah, like, her friend runs out and is knocking on the door, saying, "There's a murderer." And suddenly she's just upstairs, and like we don't see her go up there. 
but it's just so they can have her bit hung. It's it's it, and and you don't notice it the first time you see it. You're like, holy shit, what's happening? Oh my god, she's getting stabbed. Oh my god, it's her heart. He's stabbing her in the heart. That's the that's the that's the moment. It's, it's literally he hit he stabbed her so much that there is a hole in which you can see her heart, and then he stabs that. Yeah, and then he hangs her just to make sure. And the hanging is like the most frenetically shot thing ever. It's so yeah, perfect. yeah, just just you the, feel you, yeah, you feel the titan with the zoom. You go, yeah. and you think it's just her, and then it reveals then that somebody else was clocked. killed. Yeah, was that the woman? That, it that was confused. the woman who was running around. Somehow she had to see. She ends up downstairs somehow. <laughs> like suddenly she's underneath this. So somehow one of them warped up into the attic, and the other one warped down into the the ground level, just so this could happen. Yeah, but it does prep you to be disoriented by the rest of the movie, and that's well. Ugh. And then when when Sarah's killed, like that scene plays out too long you're like why why are we still having her escaping why why is the killer still trying to get this lock undone like the music actually stops it's almost as if they ran out of soundtrack and (laughs) the first time you see the movie you're like did the the record stop why are we still watching this she's just stacking furniture what's going on and you're like well okay i guess she's gonna and then razor wire yeah yeah and it's just all set up to get you with the craziest thing that you never thought would be there. Which you Why were talking, there you were you were talking about how uh, I believe it was James Wan stole a lot from Deep Red for Saw. Yeah. Um, I think definitely Darren Bozeman for Saw Two stole the uh, pit of high of hypodermic needles. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hmm. Well, actually, I think Wan and what's his face wrote Saw Two. Okay, I think Wan and that guy who's in the first Saw movie. Uh, who's his writing partner? I think they actually wrote the first three. Oh, okay. I, no, that's right. Remember. But yeah, but Darren Bozeman would... just directed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when Bozeman, Bozeman totally, Bozeman, Bozeman, whatever, he totally steals those lighting schemes. And like, saw I had to watch all the saws because I had to review them. And I, it's like the fourth or fifth, fourth one. And he didn't want to do it, so the only reason he did it was because he was allowed to experiment. So he did really crazy shit with the lighting. Uh-huh. I was really impressed because uh, I don't know how I sort of blocked it out from not seeing it for many years. But I was incredibly uh, shocked uh, once again just the way he uses sound and the establishing shots. He conveys this like sense of helplessness and sort of like this agoraphobic dread in the in the in the plaza scene. With the empty plaza, and like you think, well, where, oh, where, yeah. what's what the fuck's going to happen? Where's the spirit? Oh, the Where's geography the of that, like, how is this city laid out? Where there's yeah. like two monuments there, and then nothing, nothing. right? <laughs> but you, but, but the you, thing that was actually the Munich Square where Hitler used to make his uh, speeches. Really? Oh. Yeah, he picked that. Uh, that's the whole reason that movie takes place in uh, in Germany. In, uh, that adds Germany. a whole other it's, meaning. To it. <laughs> right. He actually got obsessed with this whole fat, like the horrible metal he uses in like opera and phenomena. Yeah. That was a whole his fascist thing. He thinks that fascism is scary and there's something inherently fascist about uh like Iron Maiden apparently. I don't hear it, but <laughs> uh and then he and then like the movie Demons, which he produced, all takes place in Berlin because he thinks it's fascist. Interesting. But no, yeah, but anyway. that 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 murder sequence is really brilliant. Well, it's, it's yeah, because it, it's it's classic misdirection where yeah. it's like, oh yeah, my god, waiting. where's that gargoyle? Where's that gargoyle? Yeah, and then the dog where's it coming from, and then all of a sudden the the seeing eye dog's like, oh, I've had enough of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is kind of I guess you could say the witches like like that was, and again they only killed that guy because they were pissed that the dog bit the kid, 
and I'm sure the dog bit the kid because the dog sensed the kid was evil or something. Right, yeah. But the witches aren't actively just killing people. Everyone like, should have sensed that kid was evil because he was like short and chubby and blonde. Like that's <laughs> well, more fascist stuff. And he, and he looks like a bird. Like yeah. his, his eyes are always wide open. Well, and then Fulci ripped off the dog attack in the Beyond. Actually, like full oh. stop, ripped it off. That's right. That's right. I forgot. I. Actually, no, 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 no. I had not seen the Beyond. Why am I saying that's right? Um, maybe I heard about that dog attack in the Beyond. Uh, I I do like going back to the introduction when when it's daytime and you're like, oh, this the the how the the school's very nice now. Like it's not just fucking raining cats and dogs and storming and everything. <laughs> uh, it's really nice. And then she gets inside and there's just like a parade of weirdos. Uh, and I had to I had to check to make sure that wasn't Argento or one of his brothers as the guy with the big teeth because it looked, oh, a, it looks oh, yeah. a lot like him. He's really ugly, isn't he? And feel free to say so. He speaks only Romanian. <laughs> we, we I used to work at Kinkos with a Romanian guy, and I made my boss see that movie, and we used to always giggle. <laughs> and he never knew what we were laughing at. But he's so much better looking now that he has his teeth fixed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Has his new teeth, and then she smiles, and then she her smile drops, and she nods for him to get out out of her face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, there's like there's creepy women in prison warden uh, teacher, and then there's the creepy little you know Damien Omen kid, and then there's uh, guy mute with the crazy teeth. Well, and then there's 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 the thing that's scarier that Daria and Lady actually wrote into the script. Apparently, was all the schoolgirl crap all the you know olga just being passive aggressive with her like the Susie and sarah i once read the yeah. names that start with s are the names of snakes snakes <laughs> and then there's that little like raspberry versus snake sound and jessica harper's just right in the middle like what the fuck is going on awesome her like, oh my god, I don't want to be here anymore. The nice girl is even crazy. I don't yeah. want to talk about that. Brilliant. Jessica Harper has such a wonderful face. Um, oh, completely she does. Agree. Well, and that was part of the. Um, I, I forgot to say part of the whole Snow White and wanting them to be twelve year olds. Um, if you notice, he does a subtle thing where all the door handles are up high, so all the girls have to reach. Oh. And Jessica Harper is not to be, you know, mean spirited, but she's flat chested. Uh-huh. And very girl-like figure, and has huge eyes. Yeah, yeah. And so she's she's playing Snow White basically, and it's just it's really good casting on his part. No, and but I mean, in the moments where she's you know just her eyes say so much, and but even in the moments where she's just like, wait a second, why are you moving me in here? Like, you know, not even when she's scared, just she has a lot of sort of energy. You kind of want to root for the character because yeah. Uh, well, and she's not. She's not. It's actually a, a – she's not uh, the usual – she doesn't have any screaming fits. I mean she gets scared, uh-huh. but she deals with the problem. Um, she – you know, she she's a pretty strong character really. Yeah. And I mean obviously again like I said, like all, all performances take a hit when, the, when all the dialogue is dubbed. But I really like her performance and probably my favorite Argento, you know, protagonist that I've – in the movies I've seen of his. Um, and I think it helped, again, it helped a lot even in the, I would say the movie kind of loses its way once the, her school friend starts trying to figure out like what's going on 
and that they're witches and stuff because mm-hmm. well because there's no mystery it's right. just they, he never he tries to establish this mystery he even has the black glove killer thing going on but it's it doesn't mean anything it's it's meaningless mystery it's just there just either because he can't get over those things that's the other thing uh, his George Lucas can't get over Star Wars yeah Argento can't get over Bird of the Crystal Plumage and he just keeps remaking these motifs hmm. and even in Suspiria they're there um yeah, and I mean that he that's just his weak point I would say is just basic sort of plot mechanics and luckily Suspiria does minimize a lot of them. I mean, it's not like a lot of the movie is dedicated to the mystery. Right. Um I'd say the scene in which the the blind man leaves the bar and then is attacked by his dog is probably longer than any either of the scene in which the her schoolmate is trying to talk to like a comatose Jessica Harper. <laughs> I like that as well that like it's Jessica just, Harper, who is very strong, just you know, very strong character whatever, she's just no help. She doesn't Don't go to sleep. Yeah. And they're just I guess the implication is always that they're drugging her. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the the food. Why don't they just kill her? You know, there's no Real logic behind that is—is is she such a great dancer? I mean, they—they curse her in her first day. Yeah, you know? I was—I was—I see. Well, what I like about that is that again, I was sort of left to fill in the blanks as what the witch's plan was. I thought maybe that they were going to make her into something. I don't know if the witches—I don't know in this specific mythology. Maybe they're going to make her be possessed by some kind of witch, or they're going to convert her to one of them, and like that yeah. was all part of it. Um, yeah, that, that's the thing I have an issue with this time. I mean, for some reason, my memory of the 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 act, the, the third act, the ending of this movie, I remember it being a lot more surreal and crazy and almost like Mulholland Drive or something. But no, nah, it's not really that spectacular. I mean, she it doesn't, doesn't build she, until like a crescendo in any way. The, the I'm third, kind of, no, it just says you've been watching Suspiria. That's the best. <laughs> but it's more of just yeah, it's like oh, the big reveal is they're all you know, gathered together in the coven saying, we need to kill the American girl. Yeah. And, and then, okay, here's what hugely, I do like the sort of, uh, I do like that you see the shadow and it's like, holy fuck, we've been told that this is the mother of all witches and yeah. that she's super powerful and that everything. But then it's completely deflated by what I'm pretty sure is a man's voice being like, all right, you what want to see? kill me? What, what do you see? What's behind that door? Oh, it's gonna be sober when you oh, shoot. Yeah, it's, uh, so like, it's this weird line, like like you almost feel like she, he didn't give her her lines to speak. She's like, "You're in, you're in for death, living death." <laughs> it's like it doesn't make any sense. It's just no, it's more like being at like a, the worst haunted house. Whereas if it was something like Deep Red, where the the puppet on the tricycle comes out like randomly, if if the door opened just randomly and it was her – that was her friend, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. Sarah. Yeah, that and is Sarah. Like if it was just – if the door just burst open and it was Sarah and then the blood comes out of her mouth, that would be so much more effective if it wasn't preceded by, oh, wait till you see what's behind that door. I can't. I know. <laughs> oh, my god. You're going to be – Maybe if she was just laughing, you know? Yeah, like, even that. I could laugh or after would work. You know, or or whispering. I mean, this movie not short on whispering. A little whispering is well, always that's creepy. The name of that's the title, basically. Oh, is S- that what Suspiria S- translate to size, but not the way we use it in English, as I'm to understand. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like whisp- like ghostly whispers, basically. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and then it deflates the ending, and then it's and then all of a sudden there's like this 
I did. I like the animated eyes because again, it gives it sort of gives the Disney feel at the very beginning of the movie where she yeah. sees the red animated eyes, but then the animated sort of outline of the witch is not nearly as effective. And yeah, it's she, not the best special effect. And then she stabs it, and then I I like the one shot where it's just the room going fucking ape shit. Yeah, but like that's that it. Part. And then she just starts laughing in the rain, and then it goes. You've been watching Suspiria. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. Bye. Is there yeah. was there ever anything more? Or was, was no. In fact, I I there's an interview I have in one of my old Gore Zones or Fangorias where someone was like. The interviewer is talking to him in Nickelodeon, and, uh, and he's saying, "You know, I've heard that there are all these deleted scenes where, like, she actually fights them, or like, like I remember the one that they, for years back in the '80s, there was like rumors that there was a scene where the big butler guy got bisected by a piece of glass and was chasing her, and got bisected by a piece of glass, and all his guts tumble out. And Argento is like, "No, that sounds cool, though." <laughs> Well, that's weird. It, like, my memory of that ending is not at all what well, it was. I, and think it was I, I expected it like a Rosemary's Baby. Like, she gets, you know, goes into the room with all the people there, and they all just fuck with her or yeah, something. You, you might be actually adding Rosemary's Baby yeah. into your... Yeah, well, I, I, I have found that when it comes to movies where the structure is bizarre, it's always harder to remember how it happens, where movies that are very plot-driven right. are always yeah. the easiest to remember. Um, I... I uh, I never remember in which order the the uh, hairy arm through the window, the the stabbing of the heart, the hanging, and then the woman being killed by the glass falling. Like I, I always I used to split. Like is that different scenes? Or is one which one happens first? Is is that happen at the school or does that happen elsewhere? I yeah. never remember, and it's just because it's so you know crazy and. Uh, uh, disorientingly, you know, made that you can, when looking back in retrospect, it's hard to remember unless you've seen it a bunch, I suppose. Um, well, and the same thing happens with me with uh, Inferno, is I sometimes in, take some of those scenes and are putting them in my mind into Suspiria. Uh, I think it's, I've seen Suspiria so many more times that I think I kind of got it down, but I remember when I first saw those movies. You know what I think Suspiria was an influence on? Uh, the Bonnie Tyler's Total Clips of the Heart video. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I don't wow. think I've ever seen that. No. It's uh, it's her running through like a boy's dormitory, and there's hmm. just doors bursting open on their own and big curtains. Like the very end when Jessica Harper's running out of the house's journey, it's like literally a shot. Uh, like they literally took that shot and put it in the video. Oh, that's crazy. And there's like choir boys with glowing eyes. <laughs> you need, we'll put up a link to the video. I think yeah, it's a very funny I don't video. Think I, I probably have seen it, and I just don't remember. That also sounds well. The the movie phenomena is kind of like a eighties music video the whole way through. Actually, that sounds good. Yeah, I I remember it. That's the one with Jennifer Connelly, right? And there's a, yeah, like, I remember there being like a lot of metal music or something in that one it's, too. It's so badly placed. I don't know yeah. anybody who defends the metal music in that movie. Or or opera for that matter. It's got Donald I, Pleasance in it too, if I recall. Yeah, phenomena. I phenomena and Tenebrae are the two. I I would. I, I kind of. Uh, if we ever talked again, those would be the two most. Inter- well, they're right in a row, though. Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, the uh, the interesting story I had about Suspiria, mm-hmm. which I just remembered, was um, back when I uh, back when I lived in Tucson and. 2001 and uh somebody wanted to trade me days on work 
And I was so excited that Suspiria was finally coming to DVD, and it came in this three-disc set, and it was coming out, and they wanted to trade shifts, and I said, let's trade for a Tuesday. I can go get Suspiria, and Opera, I think, came out that day, too. I could take them both home and just spend all day watching them at my house, and nobody will bother me. Uh, And I don't know if you've done the math yet, but we're talking a Tuesday in 2001 that (laughs) happened. Wow. And so, you know, I was working second shift, so I usually slept until noon. And I was going to wake up at noon and go buy Suspiria. And I got woken up at 8 because somebody had flown planes in the Twin Towers. And I spent the whole day just watching TV, and I got so depressed. I'm like, you know what? I Fuck it. I'm going to go out and buy these damn DVDs. Yeah. And I went to Best Buy, and, I, and, and it's the most surreal thing. And this has always been attached to Suspiria now because I went to Best Buy, and I was literally the only customer there. And uh, instead of Best Buy Radio, they were playing uh, news, and mm. every single screen – on, and the big screens that they have up there oh, shit. all playing footage of of news footage. And every employee was just staring at the news footage. And I felt like a total asshole because <laughs> I walked in. I walked up to the shelf, which fortunately had actually been stocked. I grabbed the two DVDs I want and I walked up to the counter and the guy didn't even make eye contact with me when he rung me up. It was it – was, and I, I, I didn't watch them, of course. I went back home and just went right back to watching the news. But that that's my – that's like the enduring memory I have wow. of September 11th. As I, if, I have. if you've ever written a screenplay, you definitely need to put that in there because that is yeah, such a it, great image. It was so it was I, so bizarre. I, I, even just thinking about uh, the uh, uh, like a Best Buy where all the screens are 9/11 footage, and on that huge loudspeaker they're playing, yeah. like instead of playing, you know, you know, crappy like like Train and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, don't want to yeah, miss a like thing Peter by Aerosmith. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Peter Jennings saying, and eh, we're getting word that maybe the other towers, you know, yeah, it was really surreal, really wow. surreal. So that's always in the back of my mind. Also, that, that great moment where literally what they were telling everyone to do like a few a week later was like, no, we got to not let this hurt us. We got to carry on. Like that was what you were doing. You were like, I you know what? On, I watched it and I was holding up the economy by myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like that great moment where it's it suddenly turns into I'm the biggest asshole in the world. Oh, it was ter- I felt like I felt and I almost just left. But I'm like, no, no. And I wasn't saying like that will let the terrorists win, although that <laughs> I didn't say that. But that was still that was that was definitely kind of going through my head. It was it was very surreal. So that's what I always remember with that. That's that's great. That's, yeah. I mean, that's horrible, but it's also great. It's it is. Great image. I mean, it, it's been enough years. Like ten years is, is enough time you're allowed to talk about that story with some yeah. sort of bizarre uh, nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nostalgia is totally the wrong word. <laughs> that time when three thousand people died and 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 the entire world changed and yeah no that you're right that was the wrong word. It's something like that though. Yeah no I know what you're I know what you're saying. No. Um, speaking of opera, that is another Argento movie I definitely want to talk about. That was going to be mine. Yeah. Um, so I was worried that this would be like the first director I didn't really like because I, had, you know, I watched Deep Red, which I wasn't hot on. I watched Inferno, which I wasn't hot on. And again, in retrospect, and I think this is actually something that is sort of interesting about horror movies in general is the uh, the the cream starts to rise to the top, and whenever I think back at Deep Red, I think of those you know five or six scenes that are just fucking incredible. 
even though when I was watching it, I'm like, I can't believe everyone says this is great. I, you know, because it's so tedious for so much of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you look back at horror movies, often just you know the image of uh, you know the the crazy kills from Maniac or what you remember. You don't remember the really annoying long scenes in which Joe Spinelli is just grunting and or walking. talking or, or or the scenes where he's actually talking with a woman that he that is interested in him and not acting on it. And you're like, wait, what what movie is this? From? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But you forget so, about that for the exploding head. So and I was like, well, I know I like Suspiria, but maybe that was a fluke, and this may be the first director we talk about that I don't like, and I'm afraid. And then I watched Opera, and it was everything I could want in a Dario Argento movie. I mean, yeah. I am a sucker for tracking shots, and there's a shitload of those. <laughs> Me too. I'm um, a sucker for great point of view shots, too. The uh, Again, there is a mystery that is sort of completely impossible to follow, but it doesn't spend a ton of time on the details of it. It spends more time on the emotions of the actress who's being assaulted, Yeah, you know, being forced to watch. By the way, those scenes with... The the where they no, keep great eyes open great metaphor yeah yeah well that was that was a great metaphor that was him being pissed off because he's an artist you know and thinks very highly of himself going to see his movies and being instead of being happy that the audience was reacting by covering his, their eyes he was upset nice. <laughs> oh so that's I thought it was I thought it was now. I wish I could put needles under all their eyes and he's like oh my god and probably ran home and wrote that wow see i totally <laughs> movies based around that and the fact that he was hired to do an opera and uh... the uh italian press ripped him apart and he just never did it <laughs> yeah. i see i i was giving him the benefit of the doubt and assuming that he was making some kind of commentary on the kind of people who watch these movies or something no, no this, he isn't, was, this isn't michael much... haneke <laughs> yeah i thought it was that no, I, I I love Dario Argento's movies, but you the more interviews you read with him, and the more interviews you read about him, he's just he comes across as a really difficult guy to be around. Yeah. and you just get the feeling his movies are incredibly personal and in the wrong way. You're giving him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt in the wrong way. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I I I'm not going to invite Dario to my barbecue. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's a, he's a vegetarian too. Oh, okay. Well, um, but I do like. I, I mean, I mean, and again, that's not. You don't judge a movie based on the people who make right. them, or else Woody Allen wouldn't be my favorite director. I think Woody Allen's kind of, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a creep and uh, and a misanthrope. But no, but opera has a ton of tracking shots. It focuses less on the actual quote unquote story and more he, about. He clearly fell in love with the steady cam. Oh this, God, yeah. Which is just graceful and glides along and. Points of view shots of birds. And I've flying. said this. I've said this before, and I, I think when we were talking about Quick and the Dead, that um, you can spend so much money on you know big CGI and I, again, this sounds so so cliche that I'm almost embarrassed to say it. But, yeah, the you know, old man lot, Patrick. They want to throw a lot of money at robots destroying buildings, but you know what's really spectacular? But it's true that. Um, and this, the, the the thing is, it might be only spectacular to people who understand how films are made because. Mm-hmm. People who don't understand be like, yeah, I could imagine zooming a camcorder around a whole opera house. You know, they have a – but no, like the logistics of when the when the uh, ravens are set loose and that one shot where it's uh, going up and down and flying around. Like that's one of the most spectacular things you can do and I'm sure it's ex- an extremely expensive thing as well. Yeah, and talk oh, yeah. about a great payoff with that um, But I love when movies are expensive. You know, like every dollar of that budget is on screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's well. 
did uh, did you uh, was any of those documentaries that I said you that that they have the behind the scenes on that scene? I can't remember. I think it, there was a clip of of George Romero. It was just George Romero going, and then I asked Dario, "How'd you do that?" And it was something <laughs> about a crane or something. Yeah, the, the footage is it's this huge thing that's coming down off the ceiling, and it and it's like it's like a gyroscopic thing. It's it's insanely huge. It, yeah, it, and yeah. again, and like that's what it is that's what's exciting about. Sam Raimi's movies where, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can do Panic Room where the camera zooms through a coffee cup mug, but because you know it's fake, it's not as exciting as when a camera zooms across a room, you know? I would yeah. agree with that, but for some reason, Fincher, even when he does it digitally, I think it's cool. Well, no, I'm not saying it isn't cool or whatever. I'm just saying it's not exciting. Um, and just the I, – I think camera movement can be very exhilarating, and yeah. this movie is probably, you know, the per- best example of that. And then, of course – all of the kills are like really hard to watch, and it was I was to the jaw that, and you see the blade in his mouth. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, and, and does he like cut something out of her stomach at one point? Like a, it's her. It's her. It's uh, she swallows the uh, evidence right. by accident. Mm-hmm. I love that scene because she's she acts like she's hurt and then hits him with the iron <laughs> and laughs. <laughs> and it gets like that. That woman is in a lot of Argento's movies in the '80s. A lot of the ones he produced. I can't remember her. She's name. very funny, and I like. She's great. I love her, and she's so sarcastic about everything. But yeah, what the idea is is it's in her esophagus because she's dead, so she didn't swallow it. Yeah. And apparently, there was a really elaborate special effect there, and Argento didn't like it, and so he changed it so that the scissors are just out of view, and it's so much more effective. And I love, I love that scissors are. It, I don't know why it is, but scissors are a million times make me flinch a million times more than a giant because you're not knife. Yeah, you're not supposed to run with them. (laughs) It's totally been ingrained in you since you're a child that scissors are dangerous. They're the very first dangerous thing that adults trust you with. Yeah, that's that's a very that's an interesting point. But so there is what the aforementioned metal music, which again I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm like, so what is he saying with this? And then the more. Yeah. yeah, the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is really dumb. Yeah, just, that's the only I mean, thing I don't like. It's ahead of its time in a way, I suppose. Well, that's a thing they do now. You use new metal in your all your like mid nineties. Yeah. That's the thing I don't like about Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> yeah, not a... yeah, and and uh, there's a lot of movies like that where the it's like, why are you playing heavy metal music here? It's not working for the scene. And I'm totally a fan of heavy metal music. Yeah, well, I think I think in, in terms of sort of. The horror movies of the early 2000s where there was all that, you know, late 90s with all that new metal. I think it was just because they – I mean then again, they don't market horror movies to, towards horror fans. They market it towards teens. But I, I always assumed it was that they horror fans are most likely to be metalheads or something. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. It's, it's, it's possible. Well, I remember the one time I thought they used it right was uh, Freddy vs. Jason. That oh, they yeah? open the credits and they show Freddy versus Jason, and then like someone off screen, I'm sure it's actually digital, throws red paint over it and a heavy metal riff with like a guy going yeah, <laughs> just like plays, and then and then they don't really do it anymore. That's like the end of it. <laughs> that, but to me, that was like such a like comment on yeah, this is the kind of movie you're gonna watch. It's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I, I we we talked about that as well. I think you like you like that movie a little bit more than I do, but I, I can't help but like it. I I, I understand it's never one I'm going to defend ever, right? Ever, but ever. Uh, yeah. but 
there's something ridiculous about its colorfulness. And I just really like that director, Johnny Woo, uh, Yu, Ronnie mm-hmm. Yu. I uh, love Bride, Bride of Chucky. Bride of Chucky yeah. is my girlfriend's, like, one of my girlfriend's favorite movies. It's but great. That's mostly because of her huge crush on Jennifer Tilly. Right. Understandable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, everyone has a huge crush on Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. She was just on Modern Family last week. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and you know what? She's put on weight, and it doesn't matter. Oh. No. She's not probably not. Fifties now? Yeah, she's she's fifty like three or something like that, and and she's put on weight, and she's still Jennifer Tilly. It's oh great. gosh, God bless her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we talked about a little bit of that when we talked about Bound with Bound. the Wachowskis. Oh yeah, I want Bound to be on Blu-ray so badly. Yeah, it's not even anamorphic disc. It's horrible. It's like one of the first DVD. Like I remember oh, the yeah. the features they talk about on the back are like it's like a CD. Like they are really selling the format more than they're selling the movie. <laughs> right. Special features include menu stops. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, no, no I, I, I'm with you on opera. It's, it's neck and neck with Suspiria right now. I Life might like it even favorite. a little more, even though again, the ending is so bizarre. I know, but I think I liked it a lot <laughs> more than you. It's like Lord of the Rings, return of the King ending almost. <laughs> like it ends like three different times. Yeah. Well, and the guy happened like survived for no apparent. I mean, and and our, I've totally used a dummy, and yeah, on several occasions, probably four or five times, have read an interview where Argento has explained the ending, and I can't remember a word of it. Yeah, <laughs> because it makes no sense. It makes less sense when he's explaining it. Well, no, she survived the ordeal, so now she loves bugs. Yeah, that's... I mean that's what. It, well, and it was it went back to phenomena and that whole bug loving thing and phenomena. Uh, yeah, well, the only. <laughs> The only thing about that movie is is it's uh, and like you said it's the 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 and it bothered me for years. I think I've gotten over it. Is that I'm so used to it not being possible to guess who the killer is. The fact that you guess who the killer is immediately in opera. Yeah. Yes. There's no question. From once the he first not, yeah. Scene. Once he shows up at the yeah. I. It's I like oh the creepy know. guy. Well, I, I, and you're like maybe he he'll this? be a red herring. No. No, no and that's that's okay. I've gotten over it, but and then the 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 stage ha- or the the director's plan to catch. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's like endangering everybody in the room. Uh, nobody knows what's going on, and then there's a really awkward pause. Yeah, almost like the like the scene you talked about in Suspiria, where the music just stops. There's like mm-hmm. a like the movie stops to allow the birds to come out, like at a yeah. in real time, as opposed to. Um, <laughs> as opposed to like having out. having a spect, I mean, you already have this spectacular moment where the cage crashes through glass. Like, don't don't tell the actors that, by the way. Just let it happen. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, you have it burst open, have them all fly out. No, and then have a guy come and like start poking them. A guy is in the cage with them. And God knows how he didn't break his neck, and he kicks the door open. Instead of having like any sort of mechanical device, like he has us at this point, he doesn't have to explain how that door opens. Mm. But instead, he puts a guy in there to kick it open. And then, of course, two of the people get shot. Like after after the killer's eyes are eye is ripped out, he goes crazy and shoots two of the people on stage. Like the worst plan ever. And they don't even catch him with it. He escapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's oh god, but I mean, it, it is it does reach a point in these kinds of movies where like that is the appeal of the movies is that they're yeah. so crazy and they're, yeah, they're very you, fun. And... You accept the absurdity after a while. It's like the way things unfold, you know, with with that with his whole plan and everything, and like oh, I'm going to set myself on fire, and it's just like 
you know, the, the whole thing was just ridiculous and how she has to get the key and just like these elaborate set pieces for some reason, like became more entertaining as they went along for me in this movie. And I liked that. Oh, we're going to play opera and the movie's called opera. <laughs> just like yeah. little things like that. Well, that was another one where a fan base really got behind it because when it was released in America, it was uh, cut to ribbons. Oh, really? The, the studio wanted a PG-13, actually. Um, and so they what? cut it. In 87? Yeah. I don't remember what studio it was. It was it, I don't remember who it was. And they, they cut it all down, to, and, and they still couldn't get the PG-13, so they put some of it back, but not a lot of it. And then it got a really limited run and got a VHS. I actually have the VHS. It's the... I think my VHS is the unrated cut. That was about when they started releasing unrated versions, but everybody flipped out about it. it, it like you read old Fangoria magazines and people are just throwing a shit fit about because you don't see the like the guy who gets stabbed in the throat. You just see the, the killer come up and then the guy fall down basically. Oh god! And so that was one that fandom really. It's really his last good movie. I mean, yeah, you might be right. Were interesting. Trauma, trauma is 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 okay. And Stendhal Syndrome's a nice sh- nice try. Um, I kind of like Pelts, actually. The uh, Masters of Horror? Yeah, it's yeah. so... Have you seen that one? I think I saw Jennifer. Jennifer. I don't think I saw Pelts. Yeah, Jennifer's Jennifer. not as good. No. Jennifer's not very good, but Pelts is so batshit. It, it, it's Meatloaf is a... Uh, is a... Uh, I don't remember what his job is, honestly. And he's in love with a stripper... And he gets her – he's going to buy her a coat. And the coat has – is these enchanted raccoon pelts that make people kill themselves. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's like a fur trader or something. He's a fur trader of some kind and, and yeah. it has John Saxon as the fur hunter and it's just the most bizarre right. bloody – And it wasn't written by Darjean. I don't know who wrote it but – I don't think it's, I don't think many of those were written by the. Uh, I think all. I don't think any of. I think uh, Mick Garris was the only one. I know. I I know show. for a fact that uh, that John Landis's first one, Dear Woman, was written by his son. That's right. That's yeah. right. It was. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. As we mentioned in the John Landis episode, I'm Facebook friends with his son, and it's <laughs> he'll post <laughs> he 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 posts like he makes funny YouTube videos, and there was one. It was called Hanukkah Inception, and it was them at Hanukkah but like with the Inception music playing and but you hear John Landis in the background being like Carol go go get the menorah Carol <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of Landis did you you've seen uh, uh, Innocent Blood right yeah that was one of the movies we covered and they have the Argento cameo in that yep that's oh, right oh yeah I remember I saw Innocent Blood way I, I just rented it one day and I was way into Argento already and I just remember flipping out and again, telling the people next to me and them not giving a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. That's another great motif for your screenplay. Oh um, yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's the story of my life. Oh, the best was when I went and saw Hot Fuzz in the theaters. I laughed out loud at the uh, China the Chinatown joke. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait. Which where, one was that? Where? Uh, what's the name of the town uh, in Hot Fuzz? Uh, uh, something Ferd. Yeah, Stratford, Stanford. Yeah, and, and, and he says, you know, walk away. It's it's Stratford or Stanford, or whatever. Uh-huh. And, and it's it's a play on the China, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and I I laughed out loud, and the, and it's a pretty dramatic sequence. And I was the only person in this packed theater, and my my laugh literally echoed. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's like, oh, and actually, I'm actually friends with the brothers, the Wilson brothers, who play the. They're the twin zombies, right? And, and they're they're the butchers. They're throwing the knives at them. Yeah. Oh. And they thought that was hilarious. And according to them, they said they told Edgar Wright, but I don't. I, 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 I'm not going to for a second pretend that Edgar Wright has any idea who I am or anything. So I'll, oh, I man. might make them listen to this later and they'll say, no, nah, dude, we totally didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about one more real quick? To um, I, I didn't get to see Inferno, but I'm kind of curious about it since it was the follow-up. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's hard. To, it, it was so hard to follow that I can't remember much other than the the one great set piece where the, the power keeps going on and off and there's music playing on like the CD player or the hi-fi or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the music goes, Oh no, but I did it. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that, uh, as the lights go off and it's all like one tracking shot, that's great. Hmm. And then of course someone's pelted with cats, but yeah, oh, it, it, that'd be fun. Daria Nickelodeon and she's, and you can almost literally see people throwing the cats at her off screen <laughs> and they're jumping <laughs> off of her. The cats aren't attacking her at all. They're just, springing off of her so someone throws a cat the cat goes oh my god what's that and presses and they're just running away from her it's hilarious it, it is like there it's like the unmistakable trajectory of someone throwing a cat <laughs> i will say that uh my favorite story about our um inferno is i was watching it with my girlfriend and our and our cat um and our cat <laughs> our cat fell asleep during the scene in which uh the uh, i guess the super of the building or the antique owner or something he drowns Antique-ed. a bag yeah, he drowns a bag of uh, like a burlap sack full of cats. Um, she fell asleep during that, and then she went, and then she suddenly woke up and went <laughs> like she had a nightmare. <laughs> about, oh my god! About being drowned. In sack. <laughs> <laughs> like Dario Argento gave my cat nightmares. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't take that as a compliment because he's very serious. But I'm sure any other filmmaker would take that as the highest compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's just well, like my cat scaring the shit out of me during Wreck Two. Like a zombie jumps out of nowhere at the same time my cat decides to start hissing and screaming at a cat walking by outside. It's like, thanks a lot. But hey, I got scared a couple of times and I'm I'm pretty desensitized. So right. thank God for Rec 2 and uh, Blood on the Black Lace. Yeah, I haven't seen Rec 2 yet. It's... I was thinking about just buying the, the Canadian Blu-ray. It apparently has Rec 1 and 2 on it. Oh, so yeah, Rec That's, One's really good. Yeah, so. really both like are Rick. both are equally great in my opinion, and I'm looking forward to the third. Actually, to go back real quick, the Christmas Tale that mm-hmm. I told you to watch, same director as Rick. Oh, there you go. Well, there's some more incentive to check it out. Yeah. Are there any other Argento movies you want to talk about? Well, or? I think that uh, it, the Tenebrae is one that the thing was a Suspiria. And Inferno were supposed to be part of a trilogy about three mothers and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Right. And then he sort of lost interest. And part of it was uh, uh, I think he was, he and uh, Nicolotti's relationship – Nicolotti, Nicol- I don't know. Uh, their relationship was falling apart as part of it probably. But he made this movie that was a giallo again. And the thing about Tenebrae is that and – and I want you to watch it so I'm not going to ruin who the killer is. But it plays with the uh, perception of – the rules it's almost and it's not quite but it's sort of like scream for giallo movies i can see bit. that i did watch it um okay I can totally it, see that connection it, and the uh, that they break the rules sort of like yeah. there are certain things that uh, this that and the other thing and they kind of break those rules and the funniest thing about tenebrae that i've always always make sure to tell people is it's supposed to take place in the near future 
And a virus is, and I'm not making this up, a virus is supposed to have killed off a majority of people. And no one can remember, you know, what happened to those people or something along those lines. So it's actually post-apocalyptic, sort of. It's so, like, post-apocalyptic giallo. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic and but post-modern. nothing in the movie to tell you that it's post-apocalyptic or futuristic or anything at all. There, I watched um, I, uh, you know, something weird is one of my favorite DVD labels because they just release such bizarre and you know dirty exploitation movies from the sixties and stuff. I watched this one movie where pretty much the only reason I knew the plot was because of the description on the back of the DVD. <laughs> um, by the way, a thousand pleasures is its name, and uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but it's an incredible movie. Uh, so, if you by Michael Finlay, if you ever get a chance to see it, that- thousand pleasures. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting to note that uh, there's a sequence in Tenebrae that was replicated in a Brian De Palma movie, The Untouchables. That's the shot. Yeah. Well, okay. The shot I was going to talk about. I don't remember if we were recording when I talked about that. But uh, Argento was pissed that Brian De Palma stole a what shot happened from was, him. Is, is the shot first happens sort of in uh, Birth of Crystal Plumage, uh, Sam is looking and he goes and he finds a needle and he bends over to pick up something and behind him is a dead body so he was he was obscuring it with his body right and then later in tenebrae the big reveal of who the killer is is uh man uh, standing looking around can't see anything see something on the floor leans over to kill it and he was standing right behind him the whole time yeah and then uh de palma used it in i think it's in dressed to kill and untouchables yeah but it's also in Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill is very much like a Giallo movie. Oh, it's yeah. And then it's also in uh, Raising Cain. He used the shot. And yeah. apparently the Raising Cain was the one that pissed off Argento for whatever reason. <laughs> was it, that, was it the very last shot of that movie? Yeah, the very last shot of Raising <laughs> That's Cain. That's hilarious. Again. Yeah. I feel like and, that is just part of horror and thriller no, cinema I, I lexicon. S- yeah. I seriously doubt Argento came up with it. I, I just can't imagine that it took it. Until 1970, for someone to think up that shot. Yeah, um, yeah, that's something I was like. I could probably name a dozen movies, you know. Yeah. Um, if it if the shot if the kind of shot had a name, you could look on IMDb keywords and probably probably <clears throat> like I yeah Hitchcock probably did it. I'm sure he I mean, there's somewhere in there some Hitchcock movie I have either saw and forgot or haven't seen yet. I'm sure he does it. Yeah, Hitchcock at all. And Hitchcock it all goes it back. All. It all, yeah, it all goes back to Hitchcock. When did now just say Hitchcock did it? <laughs> <laughs> Hitchcock is the Simpsons of film. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah, um, that was a really good talk. I absolutely uh, need I to have you lot. back on sometime. Okay. For sure. Yeah, I, I doubt you guys are going to do Lucio Fulci, though, huh? <laughs> I would. I'd love to do Lucio Fulci. I want to do. Or, I want to do Mario Bava. Yeah. Very Actually, much so. Bava's the, the best of those. Bava's yeah. the one that you can't you can't downplay how yeah. good Bava. I, we, we I enjoyed we both Blood and Black Lace and Twitch of the Death Nerve we, quite a lot. We didn't we didn't get to touch about Bay of Blood, uh, also known as Twitch of the Death Nerve, a lot. But that movie's so good, and it's a com- yeah. it's like a slasher. It's it's, it's a comedy. It's a comedy, and it's Definitely. sort of a, a proto slasher, and tons and tons of of like. The kills from the first two Friday Thirteenth movies are taken wholesale from it. Mm-hmm. Like literally, 
Um, the sweater is also taken from one of the characters wears the exact sweater that uh, Mrs. Mrs. Voorhees? Voorhees wears. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't oh, even notice God. that. Yeah, it's totally like, – yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, no, but I, I watched it and then I watched – I had this – by the way, it's one of the worst of its kind. Uh, um, his name was Jason. Uh, yeah. Which is it, like it, a – it's a documentary about the series, but it's so referential and about <laughs> these movies which are not very good and – it's hmm. and it's sort of structured in a way that you don't really get deep into anything at all. Um, but it's not nearly as good as uh, Never Sleep Again. I believe is the title of the Nightmare on Elm Street one. I think it that they were made by the same people. I, I still think I Never think, Sleep Again yeah. is much better because oh, it's way better, right? Um, and I've then you were that. you actually recently reviewed a similar kind of long movie, but it's about Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, and that one was also the same producers, not the same director. I, yeah, I totally want to see that one, especially after rewatching. Yeah, um, just it's the other. Hard. Yeah, Jim had a party, and we watched that Return of the Living Dead and the stuff, and lots of fun. Yeah. Well, the Good craziest times. thing about that review is I'm getting of all the things to get shit about under comment section on a review, people are like, <laughs> "Return of the Living Dead Two was really good. It's the best of the bunch." And I'm just like, "What? What? <laughs> what? It's the same movie, only shitty." Yeah. It's the exact same movie, but shitty. It's like, no, you don't understand. You just think that everything has to be Oscar caliber. It's like, no, I don't. <laughs> oh, that's the worst argument. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm talking about the value of Return of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead. I'm, I'm talking up Return of the Living Dead 3. Clearly, I... Everything Maybe they thought off. you were talking about Psycho and Psycho 2. <laughs> that's a mo- just... one movie's Oscar caliber and the other is clearly not. Oh, it's, it was bizarre. Um, by the way, would you like to plug anything? Yeah, please do. Are you on Twitter uh, and all that stuff? Yeah, I, I guess I'm just plugging along at DVD Active. I still have, uh, like I said, I have to watch Super 8 and the new restored West Side Story, which I'm really looking forward to. And uh, I've got Severin Films released Horror Express, which I've only seen once. Uh, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing... Weirdo Spanish horror movie. Huh. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. I just, I'll have continuous stuff all throughout the next couple of weeks. I, and I'm going to post uh, on, the, on the post for this episode, I'm going to post a link to your, um, to your sort of article about um, the, the past decade of horror. Ooh, oh, cool. Because we did something similar uh, on the David Mamet episode. We and uh, Brendan Leonard actually, uh, Rath Bandu on the old Chud site. Okay. Uh, we talked about sort of the legacy of 9-11 on film, but we didn't do nearly as good a job as, as you did. Uh, oh, that's, well, th- yeah. that's a really excellent article. So, that's Well, actually, oh. you, yeah, well, I'll, I'll make you link my uh, my Deep Red and Keta Ninetales reviews are actually not bad. Those are and, – and I had Inferno came out recently. Like recent reviews I'm I'm somewhat proud of. Uh, excellent. I'm not oh, that's great. I'm not going to link you to my Bourbon Thrift Plumage review. I'm not very proud of that one. No. <laughs> well, one thing, one thing that we did forget, which we tend to sometimes forget, we got to give our top three oh, that's right. Argento oh, okay. films. All right. Um, you go first, Jim. I'll go. Um, I'm going to stick with Suspiria as number one, Opera number two, and number three would be The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Uh, I would say Opera number one, Suspiria number two, and then uh, Crystal Plumage is number three. I'm just going to be a boring fan and say Suspiria, then Deep Red, and then Bird. And Deep Red and Bird can flip around all the time, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. Cool. 
There's some really disturbing stuff in Deep Red. I'm not going to lie. Well, it definitely is. And you 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 have to. I mean, there's a lot you don't have to see, but you have to see Phenomena. It's so weird. Absolutely. Yeah, I rem- I have a vague memory of that one. I it's saw it so years bizarre. ago. It it you know I look forward to you watching that. I'll talk to you about that one later because it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember that about it for sure. <laughs> and and it's his did, favorite. It's Argento always says it's his favorite. Really? That's well, another. Um, yeah. did did he direct the demons? He only wrote and produced them, but okay. it was Lamberto hmm. Bava, Mario's son, who. Again, I might get you hate mail on this. I think he's a shitty filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Lamberto and, – and so I feel that – I've always assumed that especially The First Demons was basically ghost-directed by Argento, even if no one else ever has that written anywhere. Yeah. It just feels like he was in control of it. As far as the stuff he produces, what you need to see is Michelle Suave's movies, Michelle Suave's movies, which are The Church. The Sect. Um, yeah, and if you could find the sect, I have a copy, um, but it, I don't think it's in America. And then uh, Cemetery Man, which had nothing to do with Argento, but that's a very good, good things movie. About, yeah, I've heard good things it's a very about good that movie. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his other one was uh, the uh, uh, Stage Fright, which was actually produced by a, a different filmmaker because Argento wouldn't give him a shot. He just went to a different guy because he was always the second unit director. Right. And it's mm-hmm. probably the best mix of slasher and giallo motifs like that there is. It's the most slashery of the things that are considered giallo and it's one of the best. And uh, yeah, well, that sounds good to me because I, I, I love slasher movies and uh, I, I found myself having to adjust my expectations. I always thought it's giallo... way more energetic, way more energetic yeah. than those movies. Yeah. I, mm. I highly recommend all Suave's movies. Yeah. Excellent. I feel um, like as I'm getting older, I'm getting more jaded with slasher movies. <laughs> I just like the structure. I, I, really, I, I definitely like the structure. Like I sure. find a lot of the like the reasons I love certain movies that other people don't like as much is I like the structure of, and I've, I've actually talked about this on stage when I was doing comedy, mm-hmm. about what's great about the early Friday 13th movies is they're teen sex comedies, and then which is movie A, and then there's movie B about a slasher, and then movie B just fucks up movie A. Like, there is a certain point in the movie where movie A cannot continue any longer. There are not enough characters left. Like, I think the best example of that would probably be Final Chapter, where it's, like, there's actual characters and relationships and their memorable performances and and stuff. And they're funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the best of the series. Yeah. Uh, Well, I really like like part six. six. Yeah. Because that's the proto scream. I need to rewatch that one because I don't have a good memory of that one. But I I love four. Yeah. Four and six are the two best. But yeah. if, you, if you went to a drive-in in the early '80s, you only had two choices between teenage sex comedies or slasher movies. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh. but I, yeah, and I love and I love that structure. So there are other movies that people are like, no, that's actually really well made. I'm like, but it doesn't have the things I like about slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, by the way, if you want to send hate mail uh, to Gabe <laughs> or anything anything we all said, uh, you can email us at directorsclubpodcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, and uh, visit the website at directorsclubpodcast.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at patrickrapole.com. And I'm not to, <laughs> .com. I don't have my own site yet. It's just at patrickrapole. It's uh, instant gym for me. Yeah. And where are you at, Gabe, on Twitter? I don't actually have Twitter. I, I decided Good that for you. Um, I'm not allowed to have Twitter. <laughs> okay. I'm already narcissistic enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, anybody who's my Facebook friend knows I update way too often yeah. often already i don't oh, <laughs> and one other thing i forgot to mention uh on the last episode i don't know 
how this slipped my mind, but I was recently a guest on another podcast. Oh, that's right. One of my favorite uh, podcasts. We've had uh, all three of these uh, guys on our show, Matt Gamble, Kurt Haffiard, and Andrew uh, James, all from the Row 3 Cinecast. I recently uh, uh, popped in there and did a guest appearance on uh, episode 232 at the Cinecast, so you can check that out at Row3.com. I review um, Take Shelter for a good hour. And you're going to be on an (laughs) upcoming episode of... Yeah, the Movie Club podcast reviewing Cronenberg's uh, Crash, which, which you, I actually hate. Yeah, and but they like I, it there. I'm not a fan of it either. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I hate. So that I'm movie. looking forward to having an argument about it. We'll <laughs> see how that goes. Awesome. All right. Um, next episode is going to be on Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, very looking forward to that. Speaking of which, Andrew James once again will be returning for um, a second appearance, and definitely uh, Soderbergh will also be a two part director because yeah. he's got so much shit yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that there's not a bad movie by him as far as i've seen so that's probably true i, no, I haven't seen full, fan, I haven't no, no, full frontal no, i'm not a big fan of full frontal <laughs> i actually yeah i didn't finish full frontal I'm no not, yeah. it's, it's not very good but anyway yeah um we're so definitely going to have you back weeks. on gabe yeah. uh, okay cool probably when Let we talk know. about baba yeah definitely yeah. we'll do that next year for sure excited for that mm-hmm. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll see you in a couple weeks for Soderbergh. All right. See you later. Like the subtext is fuck you. Uh, What's up with those maggots? Two six zero eight six nine five six five two one seven four. Face the wraith. Um, the wraith. The ring wraith. Oh god. Oh god. Have you ever? Have you ever heard that song "Born Under Punches"? And then there's like a pretty girl in a short dress, but who gives a fuck? Let's save some babies. <laughs> That's a really bad dag impression, Jimmy. Jimmy. That's what happens when I have a cold.